Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 125 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. And we are joined once again by our dear friend, Tyler Emerson. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks, man. Always excited to be back. Cool. And it's not, I mean, not that we don't want to have you on more frequently, but at least now it's only annually that you're going to have to show up. So, <laughs> and, and we'll discuss, listeners, why that is. I think most of you know, but <laughs> Brendan, we got... GHB to talk about, right? With Tyler. Yep. Handbook 2023-2024. Now 12 months again. Yeah. After popular demand and people effectively saying, I'm not going to buy both of them. I'm not spending $100 <laughs> on this. I'll just use the internet. Yeah. And here we are. We're back. You know, so. And then we're going to talk about the Antor Battle Scroll, which is obviously in direct relation to the new handbook because it takes place in... Antor. Points changes, some rules changes with that. Nothing too, too crazy. A few things that are obviously worth noting that I feel personally responsible for breaking, and uh, I would dare someone to claim otherwise. So <laughs> that's what we got today. As usual, it's a Tyler episode, so, you know, buckle in for your four and a half hour drive. Um, <laughs> we'll have probably an hour and a half still to listen to it, you know, when you're done. Yep. yep. <laughs> Absolutely. That sounds fair. All right, man. I think that's it then. And just real quick, there is going to be a a little special note at show close for listeners. So we want you to make sure that you, if nothing else, hop to that part of the show because we're going to talk about the future of the show. Coming changes. Yeah, coming changes. Nothing bad. All is good. Everything's terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's move on to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. So Tyler Hobby, what's going on, man? I have not done a darn thing recently. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's what's up with me. (laughs) That's fine. You've been playing and not hobbying, and that's fine. I've been playing and not hobbying. Yeah, I've I've assembled some cardboard cutout terrain, which is pretty interesting. It's from Battle Systems. So have you guys okay. heard of that company? No. no. Uh-uh. Yeah. You know, we, we, a few companies out there, uh, Tabletop Titans, they have some terrain oh, sure. that, they, that they did a Kickstarter around. Yeah. It's great stuff. Like, it looks actually really good, I think. It is a bit of a pain to put together, though, because they don't have any instructions that it oh, comes with. God. So you have to watch these YouTube videos. Oh, and sure. These, they speed forward through like some of the critical parts where like they got these different clips and like L clips and T clips and I clips and you don't it's it's really hard to see okay which clip is going where <laughs> so you just go 0.25 speed anyway other than that an amazing product but they really got to work on their instructions okay all righty so. cool <laughs> Brendan you've been doing a little bit of something yeah I've had the opportunity to work on painting my OBR Underworld's Warband for Meltdown so I got them all painted up they're done. They're all beautiful and colorful, and I now have 8,190 points of Bone Reapers. That's (laughs) stupid. It's not an exaggeration. No. No, that's... So, in the app, I keep inventory 
of some of my larger collections to just know how many points I have of that and just know how many units I have, you know, for list building purposes. So I did that, and then I started building a corn Vanguard box because corn is really, really, really good this edition, and I imagine <laughs> I've heard that. it will remain so. You've heard that. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I've been up to, Dan. Yeah, heard. I got my Gossamits done. And I did some conversions where I used real dragonflies for the wings. Mm. And what's kind of nice is where those little silly bugs uh, from the kit, you know, off the sprue hook on, real dragonflies of that size actually are perfectly scaled. So it worked out really nice. And it looked cool. And then I got some spite revs done. I got my Lady of Vines done, did a conversion on her because those arms just drive me mad. I cut those off and did other things. So again, I'll post something on the Twitter's sometime. Good but, time uh, for Lady Vines for those point drops. Yeah, it was huge. Just a few, just yeah. a couple. Just a few, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm going to play any of them. I, you know, I'm just trying all those things out to see what's going to work and what's not. My Gossamids have actually done some work. You know, yeah. surprising. It's a unit of ten, of course, so it's a huge investment. But oh, okay. I don't know. We'll see. Lady of Vines has been great. Man, that yeah. five up save once you get, especially with what we're going to talk about, her getting yeah. that off is much more reliable. And those things have all gotten done. They're finished and table ready. Yeah, that's it for me. So pre-orders, we have three 40k figs, two of which are already sold out. Perfect. <laughs> Typical GW. Uh, Drops, we know the GHB, the Harbinger boxes, the first Harbinger book. That stuff is all rolling around Mm -hmm. in the real world. That's it really for product. I've looked through and there isn't a whole lot of other stuff. Games played other than Sigmar. Tyler, have you done any computer stuff or video stuff or anything? No, I have a job and I need to keep it. So I'm staying away from Diablo 4. I've got multiple friends at PlayStation, so I'm going over to friends' houses at night mm. sometimes to get a little fix in mm-hmm. with Diablo 4. I'm actually probably going to do that tonight. It's been a couple of weeks. So. I can tell you that's a really wise decision. <laughs> I have had to just literally walk away. It's so hard to not just keep going back. There's some of the bosses mm-hmm. in these little mini dungeons. I go back like six or seven times before I mm-hmm. beat them, and I'm just not going to stop. <laughs> what time is it? It looks amazing. It's really fun. And it's just so different than Diablo 3. It's so non-linear, which is what I love about it. You have so many choices that you can do and then go back to the main storyline when you want to. I have done nothing, though. I even been playing that, just trying to get other stuff ready. And we're about to go on another RV adventure here. We're leaving and for a few days. So that's been taking up some time planning that. Uh, Brendan? So I've been couch surfing, which has basically been college living. So it's <laughs> true. Playing a lot of Madden, a lot of NBA 2K, a lot of party games. You know, been doing that. It's been good. You know, <laughs> just yeah, nothing too complicated there. You know, mm. drink some beers and play some video games and eat some snacks. It's great. Do you play the Bucks and NBA 2K? No. Or? What we've been doing is we've either been doing like the three v three street ball stuff. Uh. Or we will go through like the different settings where like you can mm. play current teams, classic teams, oh, okay. or all-time teams, and mm. we'll pick one of those three, and then we'll randomize what teams we get. My offensive strategy basically runs exclusively through the paint, so if I mm. can get a player like Giannis or Shaq, <laughs> I'm basically unbeatable, because it's all passes into the paint or lobs, and then just 
throwing it down because mm-hmm. all those players, like when they are that close to the basket, it's basically impossible to miss. <laughs> That's great. A little less good with the shooting teams. So it's a lot harder. <laughs> Sigmar Games. Um, you and I played a game. We did last play a week. Game, yep. My Sylvaneth versus your Bone Reapers. Mm-hmm. That was quite the harvest, I must say. Mm. But it was okay. A lot of learning. and Yeah, learning the new handbook, learning the new, like, the realm rules and, and everything like that. Yeah. How all that interacts. It was very useful. Um, playing a new mission. Yeah. Seeing what all that looks like. But just getting a taste for it so that at least we had exposure before, you know, we get to Meltdown and have to play games. Because I imagine mm. between that and the big game we played this weekend, that's probably the last time that any of my stuff is going to see the table before meltdown yep yeah so <laughs> and we did have a a big game which was really cool we had a few folks get together and yeah it was great it was about twelve thousand points aside <laughs> it's not oh, wow it was really really cool that's cool i nice. had like 4500 points of sylvaneth i had seven tree lords on the board <laughs> which was really fun yeah we had a good time with that now you've been playing some sigmar we know yeah what have you been up to? Yeah, I had a one-dayer yesterday, about oh. 10 folks here at Metagames in Springfield. Played, uh, I'm on the Stormcast kick again, <laughs> so I haven't even looked at Nurgle. I've played Nurgle for so long, I yeah. just, I need a break. Yeah, I played them all last year, played them a lot this year. With Stormcast, yeah, they just have so many options, it's easy to go back to them. We played Geomantic Pulse, oh, Limited yeah. Resources, that was one you guys played. Yeah, we me. played that one, yep. Yeah, I liked it. I think it's a, it's a pretty solid mission. There's definitely, as Brendan were saying before the show, some potential for a runaway with the scoring a little bit because it has the highest scoring potential, yes. but but it's nice. And then, what was the third one we played? I can't even remember. Yeah, we, I know we played those two, but we're enjoying this season so far. Great. Personally, really enjoying it, Very actually. Cool. Yeah, so. I second that. Events. So we have Meltdown is imminent. Man, two weeks. Two weeks. We're going to be rolling dice. Well, uh, by the time the show comes out, it'll be over. Well, no, yeah. it'll be before the sh- we'll be. It'll be like on the drive to Meltdown. Yes. And then we have Nashcon. We have Siege World. We have Dragonfall. And we have Vault Wars. What's in that? O- in October. Vault Wars. Vault Wars. And mm. look, look at him. He's like, what? Huh? Mm. Hmm? It's like, we- that's coming up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in October, will we count it? Okay. Yeah, it's three months away. Oh, it's in October now. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Okay. Crazy. I'm I'm very sad about that. I've mentioned that before. I've heard I've gotten some feedback uh, around that. Okay, good. Well that's good. That might be. You're not gonna make it, are you? You've got other priorities. It's it's sadness. Sadness. Yeah. You look at him I can see your face, which makes it even better. Hurts I, a little I, bit. I know. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a good excuse. I know. You probably have told me what it is too. Well, it's but. wedged right between Dragonfall and Rockcon. Yeah. Literally in the middle of those two. Great decision so, on somebody's part. Yeah. yeah. I signed up for it, not even knowing if I can go. <laughs> I said I need to have this ticket just in case. That sounds like a friend. That sounds like a real friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! It's also prime RV season, so uh, <laughs> let's just I'll say one up you here. <laughs> that Friday of that tournament weekend is my girlfriend's birthday. Oh. And so I am going to have to spend Ooh. the incredible political capital to get out to Tyler. That's going to empty that account, man. That just, <laughs> <laughs> you might as well close that account for a while, man. That's craziness. Yeah, those are all our events coming up, but Meltdown for sure. And that should be a lot of fun. Fair amount of people showing up. We haven't seen Meltdown for a few years, so this will be mm-hmm. really, really cool. Do you know how many folks are going to be there? I think I saw about 45 or 50 at least okay. at this point awesome. when I saw the list. Yeah. And I don't know when he's going to update number. it, but it's a good uh, number. 
Whispers is done, and yep. now we move on to Emperor Lies. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So you know, Tyler, this is the section where we talk about the main part of the show. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. After your little hissy fit about Vault Wars, <laughs> I may have to do my own little thing now. <laughs> that was great. You, yeah. you that was very good, though. It's, that was very cool. It's important to not piss off Dan in this process because he <laughs> is the editor. That I'm not going to edit. That was amazing. That was very cool and spontaneous. It took my mind just a moment, but I clicked and go, okay, it's I like see what the, he's doing here. It's like the Deepkin episode where I kept going, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that took four or five times for me to figure, oh. <laughs> We're going to start off this section of reviewing the new General's Handbook with some brief thoughts on two things. First, the new points, and then the Battle Scroll that we just had released. Again, just... What are you guys thinking in terms of overall effect on the game? Or was it positive, negative? Looks like most of the changes were reasonable. Or what are your thoughts on that? I thought it was pretty positive. They hit upon a number of things that needed to get hit. They had a moderate change to my favorite, Murderlust. So we'll see how that goes. They had by far the best change here, which is going from two to five models for coherency to two to six models. That's that, fantastic. That one's huge. That was so great that somebody finally figured that out when I saw yeah. it. I, oh. You know, so take Seraphon Coalesced. The Croxagor, which got a point drop, arguably mm-hmm. needed it. They were bad. They were bad, yeah. At, <laughs> and we mentioned this, yes. <laughs> yeah. So now you can go six Agrodons, six Wars, you know, six Croxagor. That's okay. amazing. And But so you're going to, yeah, Kurnoth Swords, man. Oh, yeah. Get your great swords out with Horfrost. I actually played that. The great swords, it never made sense to run them in anything other than three packs. Yes. Because if you were running yeah. more than that, you were taking the size. But now that you can run regular coherency and get everyone in with the six pack, and they saw a 30 point drop to 220, that's, that's quite the combination of things. Because now it yeah. becomes difficult to justify taking a pack of sides because for fewer points and very similar output mathematically, the reason that you would take the size, right, is if you need that extra bit of ren to really can right. open or something. But, you know, taking them to nine to get something in, there's not really a lot of value in that because what can you can open her with nine that you can't with six? Right. right. Basically nothing. It's still a decent investment. You know, yeah. it's 450 points or something like that for two units. But, yeah, that was really good. Big fan of that. I, you know, level the same criticism at most things is that I don't think they take big enough swings at the stuff that, you know, should go down. A lot of the stuff that goes down, right, you know, is the 10 point, 20 point, you know, and then you open, you go, oh my God, 40 points. Like, (laughs) yeah. The other thing that drives me absolutely crazy is some of these lists don't change because they take this unit up 10 points Mm. and they take Mm. another unit in that same list and they bring it down 10 points. Mm -hmm. And so nothing has changed at all. That same list exists. It just goes, the unit that was more problematic is more expensive than the unit that like you were just taking to fill out some requirements yeah. or as some non-problematic support element. It's the same. Right. My favorite example of this was years and years and years ago was the 21 eel list where the Namardi dropped the exact requisite number of points sure. for 21 eels to still fit. <laughs> right. And it's like, why? <laughs> Who did this? I really like the way they changed 
the murder lust. It was so good yeah. that they took something away, but they gave something back so that yeah. it, you didn't really feel like you'd been smacked in the head. It's a good concession. You know, it was a nice trade-off. So staying in that same category, Soul Black Gravelords with big changes. Oh, You're gosh. welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> First of which, zombies, now three inches ah. for their explosions. Uh, the other big change is the Endless Legions ability. Yep. The big Huge. change is that you can no longer bring a unit back within three inches of an enemy unit in your opponent's turn. It's now mm-hmm. nine inches. It's still yep. three inches in your turn. It's huge. So you can't do mm-hmm. a sneaky redeploy and then drop a unit in front of the unit that you just redeployed between you and your opponent. Yes. Mm. So RIP to that strategy. You know, Lookout, sir, got a change? It's kind of took the essence of Galatian Champion and integrated into Lookout Serve. So mm-hmm. now you cannot target a hero of nine wounds or less, mm-hmm. as long as it does not have a mount, if you are targeted with shooting attacks, if you are outside of 12 inches. Yeah. I think that's a great change. Nice mm-hmm. way to integrate, yeah, part of Galatian Champions, where we still have that going on. And it still makes them, you know, this is one of my major beefs with Galatian Champions is it made small heroes all but untouchable Mm. in a lot of ways. Even if it wasn't shooting, it was really hard to get to them. I think this is great because it forces you, if you are a shooting army, to make a commitment somehow Mm -hmm. to get close enough if you're going to use it for that purpose at least. Um, And it also takes away the fact that you can still get to Galatian, you know, what were Galatian champions, small heroes in other ways too. Yeah. You know, this just moderates the shooting piece. And of course, if I go with Gossamids, I'm not going to care <laughs> <laughs> right. with that 12 inch range. 12 so inch. I think overall, it, positive changes. The point values, as usual, are all over the place. I think there is a layer of their process that is missing, which they're just not doing enough. I would say like hands-on active curation, mm. where they're more actively thinking about these adjustments in a more refined way. It it, it still feels a little bit too much like it's data-driven, right? Mm. They're like looking at play rates of different units, yes. and they're going, okay, yeah. at this play rate, therefore it's going to get this adjustment, as opposed to active curation, you know, guided by yeah. real understanding of what's going on. And yeah, so with that said, there were a number of armies that needed point drops that got point real point drops that are mm-hmm. going to make a difference i mean i gained 100 plus points on stormcast mm-hmm. which were down there in the like very low end of the fat middle 43 44 45 percent got some drops which i think are generally net positive because got some very significant changes yeah and which was great i mean but i mean some armies that needed adjustments got adjustments the other way yeah, <laughs> yeah. Zombies probably, yeah. they might not might stand to go up a little bit more. We'll see. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> got more work to do, Brandon. Yeah. Even with changes. So. <laughs> How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> Going up five points is egregious. They still remain one of the highest point-to-wound dense things. And yeah. while you've removed the singularly most oppressive elements of it, right? Being able to... For me to just drop another 20 brick right in front of your line, keep you Mm -hmm. pinned exactly where you don't want to be on a four up and me being able to do mortal wounds from downtown, just chucking a dead zombie across the board at you Mm -hmm. to do a mortal wound. That stuff is gone. It's still very good, but the change to endless legions is 
kneecapping to the non-zombie part of this. Mm. There are other war scrolls. Skeletons. Yeah, skeletons. And they went up 15 <laughs> points, which is cutting it off at the pass, which I, is smart. That's really, yeah. really good, because that's the next unit that's going to be a real big problem, especially with the consideration of Horfrost, where you can bring them up to Ren 3, you can give them two attacks, you can make them an extremely effective unit yes. for 300 points. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not good. Beyond this, though just like to point out to everybody to please check your FAQs in errata because there are changes that were made to individual armies yeah. beyond what's listed in the battle scroll for instance you know one of the key things is with primal dice which we'll talk about next yep there are some pretty clear shortcuts that you can take to really power up some stuff it seems games workshop did a, a really good job of taking for instance like something like the warsong revenant and saying that hey the value of that spell is based on the dice roll of the first two dice that you roll. The unmodified the dice unmodified roll. The unmodified dice yeah. roll. There's a couple of things that they clarify and that they spell out for you, so please go take a look at those. You know, While none of them, in my mind, fundamentally change the way that your army played, those are the ones that appear in the battle scroll. Sure. They are impactful and meaningful because they can impact the results of the game yes. by a couple of dice. Yep. Go take a look at that. All right. So let's move on to the GHB. And let's start with the realm rules. We have a new realm. It's Antor. It's cold in Antor. Yeah. Cold and Gur. <laughs> yeah. And we've got a couple of special rules. We've got new designation for our wizard heroes, specifically wizard heroes with a wounds characteristic of nine or less that are not unique. Again, the Antorian Locus, which we are hereby ever after going to call Al Bundy's <laughs> that's our show name for these things. All right. Uh, so, Al's. Yeah. Al Bundy's. So that's the new thing uh, in terms of wizard heroes. And then we have optimal focus at the start of the battle round after priorities determined. The player taking the second turn can pick one friendly hero on the battlefield. If that hero is an Al Bundy, they can attempt to cast one extra spell and attempt to unbind one extra spell. If they're not an Al Bundy, you receive one command point that can only be spent to allow that hero to issue a command. Good, good stuff. I don't see a problem with that considering magic is the focus here. Mm -hmm. Those are both very reasonable things. How has optimal focus played out for you so far, Tyler? Yeah, it's felt sufficiently meaningful. Okay. <laughs> for example, in some of my games with Stormcast, I've had two unbinds as my starting point, and I can get that up to four unbinds. <sighs> wow. That feels pretty good, yeah. right? Yeah. When you add primal dice, one of those, if you've got a Knight and Cantor too, you've got an auto unbind in there. So yeah, that's been one of my takeaways so far is that there's real anti-magic going on, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting mix, but yeah, I'm a fan. Okay. okay. The big rule that is going to cause lots of confusion is primal <laughs> magic. Yeah. So at the start of the hero phase, both you and your opponent, both players roll a dice for each four up, each player receives one primal magic dice. After a player attempts to cast or unbind a spell, or after a player attempts to dispel an endless spell, they can roll one of their primal magic dice. If they do so, add the results to the casting, unbinding, or dispelling roll. That player can continue to roll additional primal magic dice until the caster suffers a primal miscast, which we'll define shortly, or there are no more primal magic dice to be rolled. You can do this for any caster. They don't have to be specifically locus. You know, you don't yourself have to be a wizard if you're attempting to unbind or dispel something, you know, 
That's why corn's so good. You just have to be engaging in this specific activity. Right. Abilities that allow you to reroll casting, unbinding, or dispelling rolls must be used before primal magic dice are rolled, because that would be nuts. <laughs> if you choose to use an ability to reroll a casting, unbinding, or dispelling roll, you cannot use primal magic dice to supplement that roll. At the end of each battle round, any primal magic dice that have not been used are lost. So this is a really nice decision point that people are going to have to make between mm -hmm. going for the reroll on their spell or saying, yeah, this is a low cast, but I've got, you know, four primal magic dice, and I think I can mathematically put this to a place that's going to be difficult to achieve. Yeah. Obviously, there's a penalty to, <laughs> you know, having all of this at your disposal. When a primal magic dice is rolled as part of a casting roll, on an unmodified casting roll that includes a double one, the caster suffers a primal miscast instead of a regular miscast. The spell is not successfully cast. The caster suffers D3 plus 3 mortal wounds, which could kill a lot of your heroes. <laughs> yeah. If you spike um, the D3, yeah. And each other unit within 3 inches of that caster suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, the caster cannot attempt to cast any more spells in that phase. So this is really interesting to me. Just as a side note that usually we talk about stuff from Sigmar that's been incorporated into 40K. Mm. This is something from 40K that's been incorporated into Sigmar because they've had a rule for a long time where if a librarian, a psyker, miscasts, their heads basically uh -oh. blow up yeah. and there are other people who are hurt and stuff. So it just is interesting they're bringing that mechanic over. And I, and I like it. I think it's great because you take the risk, you get the reward or... <laughs> not so yeah and bringing back total power from warmer fantasy days is, mm -hmm. is quite sweet yep yes that's the last part when a primal magic dice is rolled as part of a casting roll on an unmodified casting roll that includes a double six the spell is successfully cast cannot be unbound in addition the caster cannot attempt to cast any more spells in that phase and both players receive one primal magic dice yep yeah a fun loophole to this is if you roll double sixes on the initial roll you grab one primal dice and go Anything. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, did that just to clarify, day. how many primal magic dice can, then can each player get? What's the maximum they can get? Infinity. Okay. Yeah, so as long as you have a way of manufacturing primal dice, mm -hmm. you can have as many as you're allowed to have. Okay. So for most people, that's going to be four at any mm -hmm. given time. There is a battalion that'll, that can give you more. Mm -hmm. And if you... Like, let's say your opponent keeps rolling double sixes on their casting attempt. Right, they get more. And they keep generating primal dice. You keep receiving that in your pool. Yes. You know, there is no limit. At the end of the battle round, though, it all clears out. Sure. And you have yeah. to start over. Yeah. I like that both players get it. If one gets, the other gets. I think that's really cool so that it's not one person loaded up. So, guys, I find this to be fascinating. I really enjoy this Primal Magic system that they set up. On Wednesday's show, there was a fair amount of bickering about it. <laughs> My co-hosts were less intrigued by it, I, I think it's fair to say. They weren't too keen on the, like this adding a subsystem on a subsystem, I think was how Tom had described it. Mm. In just the actual experience of it, I am enjoying it. Uh, greatly. And that's been the general consensus that I've found in, in others playing it locally. It's fascinating. The variables that are involved, the different scenarios that it elicits. Yeah, I mean, it would take a while to try to break down like all the nuances of what's going on here. But I'm a big fan of this. Yeah. And it's really fun. I second that, Tyler, because the way I see this is it's another resource. You know, it's another mm -hmm. currency, as it were, in the game. You know, mm -hmm. I've got my little stack of command point 
tokens, and now I've got my little stack of primal dice that I keep yeah. next to that. It's no different than if you play a chaos army and you're accruing currency to summon mm. or do whatever you're doing. You have to keep track of that, you mm -hmm. know, so you could argue, well, that's a a subsystem of something else, you know, or <laughs> you could do that with many of the armies in our game that have some, some meta currency. Yeah. Of unique to them. And this is mm. just another one of those things that to your point, it makes the game more interesting. It really does. I know it motivates me as somebody who has, you know, moderate amount of casting. I'm not a magic army, mm -hmm. but it makes me want to use those dice. I'm motivated to do that. I'm motivated to try spells that I wouldn't want to try otherwise. Yeah. Um, and I think that's cool that it kind of makes people try new things. Sure. And that's always good in a game. The, yeah. The mini game that you're talking about, though, Tyler, is basically, mm. you know, that careful balance between... <laughs> Can I push this spell to somewhere where my opponent can't do anything about it? But then the counterplay of the unbinding player who's operating with perfect knowledge now, right? <laughs> That's... You know how many casting attempts your opponent has. You mm -hmm. know how many primal dice they've had. Mm -hmm. You know how many they've spent. You know what remaining spells there are effectively to choose from. The unbinding player is in you know, the catbird seat effectively of, <laughs> of making the choices of of what's going to go from here, which is why I think particularly Corn is so good in this edition because they have so many tricks to get around this, right? You can watch your opponent spend all their primal dice and then mm -hmm. you go, spell eater. Sure. And it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like that they added the bonuses and the penalty to the casting player only. Removing that from the unbinding and the dispelling player, I think makes it really all the more interesting, right? All of the risk management is on the casting player and yeah. the player going second potentially has a huge advantage because, you know, they're going to be unbinding in your turn. Mm -hmm. You're going first. And then they're going to have potentially a bigger pool mm -hmm. to do their casting with come their turn. Mm -hmm. you know, let's say all else equal, we grab, you know, on average the one dice in the first turn. In the second turn, you pick up your another dice and they spent their one primal dice, and now you're sitting there in hand with two? Mm. Ooh, that's... You can really put some spells beyond capture. So I'm on board with you, Tyler. I think that these four little paragraphs in the scope mm. of what is thousands of pages of, par of paragraphs and rules and minute languages, that these small changes here open up a huge possibility of mm -hmm. ways that this changes approaches to even just the hero phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if this were to become the magic system or more reflective of the magic system for 4th edition than where we were prior to this, I feel like I'm on board for mm -hmm. what it's worth. I mean, now we haven't mentioned, of course, the nature of these seasons historically has been that it creates inequities within the ecosystem. And now, I mean, that tends to happen almost regardless. I think there's a common view that that's been amplified by the nature of these seasons. And so it, it would be easy to think that, well, that's just going to be here, right? You're going to have the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, so on and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of nuance to that discussion. And we got into yeah. some of it on Wednesday. Where I stand on the whole is that I think we're going to see less inequity, meaning that the anti-magic, the unbinding side of things has been strengthened more than casting has been strengthened mm -hmm. on a, as a whole for most armies. So, right, Dan, you're playing Sylvanath with 
some amount of spellcasting and mm-hmm. unbinding. I'm playing Stormcast with some amount, right? Mm-hmm. I feel so much more capable of p- competing against Lumineth, Zinch, Seraphon, etc. Mm-hmm. in this new season than I did prior to this season. Yes. I think that's really fascinating as well, and great design on their part. But there is potential for things to get nuts, like Merciless Blizzard. Like, th- crazy things will happen where you're going to get, you know, 22 mortal wounds to the face from Merciless Blizzard or something. Right. <laughs> and not everybody has the ability to turn that off. I mean, that's yes. the other thing, you know. Not everybody is corn. Not everybody is Stormcast that has the, you know, once right. per game turn off. There is the possibility that's going to get thrown out there. But you know what? If you look overall, you know, people focus on that. Oh, it's just crazy. <sighs> okay, I'll just pick up a random book or any two or three random books in Sigmar, there's some crazy stuff in any book that you could argue is just nuts. We use that word a lot, stupid nuts, when we're talking about (laughs) some books, right? It's part of the game. I'm enjoying what little exposure I've had to it so far. And one of the main things I love about it is it really changes the way people think about going first or second because that has been so cookie cutter where, Mm. you know, First turn, I'm going to give you first turn because I don't want to get double. I'll take second. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's kind of something that comes out of people's mouths when they're talking. And now you're not going to be just not thinking about it. You're going to be thinking whether you really want to go first or second now and what that means for you in terms of what's the impact. Um, and Especially some of these missions. We have more incentives than ever yep. to go second with this set of missions. Which is wonderful. Again, I think it's great that you're making people think about it for yeah. a change. Shall we move on then to the other side of this coin? Yeah, so the unique enhancements, just like previous editions, you have the opportunity to get some free special stuff. But in this case, the only time that you are able to get a Nullstone Adornment, the unique enhancement for this edition, Mm. is if you have an army that does not include any wizards or any abilities that would allow you to cast a spell in the same manner as a wizard. So Mm -hmm. Spell in a Bottle precludes you from taking Nullstone Adornments. Mm -hmm. Same rules apply as, you know, things like when we had Galatian Champions where you had have the ability to take a additional enhancement. You can choose to take another enhancement. You just can't repeat multiples the same nullstone adornment so Mm. it's an enhancement of three tyler what's your pick out of this one yeah and then i have some general thoughts overall on this which i wanted to chat with you guys and see where you are but as far as an overall pick prior to playing and trying these out i would have said the pouch of null dust once per battle at the start of the hero phase you can say that the bear will use their pouch of null dust if you do so until the end of that phase unmodified casting rolls that include a double one double two or double three are treated as miscast over primal dice were rolled as part of the casting roll as a primal miscast. And then in addition, you roll a dice for each endless spell. On the battlefield, on a 5-up, you can get rid of that endless spell. Okay, so to me, that sounds intriguing on paper, right? Mm. You look for a key turn, a key phase going up against Zinch or Lumineth. I mean, it's going to be particularly pronounced against armies that have a lot of spell cast. This mm. is where, on average, this you know the math should start going a little more in your favor. Mm-hmm. I tried it out against Slaves of Darkness with, he had six spells. And now this is anecdotal, this is one time, obviously I'm going to get more games in, but it just so happened that it never came up in six spells. I haven't sat down and looked at the math, and is that reflective of what the average should have been? Uh, But I do worry that this will look deeper than an actual reality. Although it does stand out, again, in relation to Croak and Slan and Seraphon, Lumineth, the heavy spellcasting armies, right? This could be valuable. 
And it also does create an interesting consideration for the spellcasting army, right? Where to me this reads, this is a anti-primal magic dice artifact or enhancement, right? Yes. They roll a one, two, or three. They have to now seriously question <laughs> whether they're going to use a primal dice. It so happened that in six spells in my one try, that never came up. He was rolling above average, and he wasn't rolling ones, twos, or threes. Right. So from a math perspective, double ones on two dice is a one in 36 chance of happening. 3%. Right. So double ones, double twos, or double threes becomes a three in 36, a one in 12 instance. It is very possible that in the six casting rolls that that didn't happen, right? Mm. You happen to have six of those 12 instances, you know, if you were to do it in another round with those six spells, you'd expect to see one of them hit Mm. one of these conditions. You're Mm. totally right on this being a primal magic consideration because obviously when you have ones, twos, or threes on two dice, you're really looking at a 75% chance that one of those dice is going to show one of those three numbers. Then you take your next dice. There's a 50% chance that that dice is going to show one of those numbers, but obviously one in six that it's going to show one of those matching numbers. Whereas before, right, if you're talking about needing to hit double ones and you know for sure that there's not a one on those first two dice, there's a 0% chance Mm -hmm. that you're going to primal miscast. Yep. Where, heaven forbid, right, you know, you're rolling this and you roll a two and a three and you go, I got to get this spell off. (laughs) Hey, bud, I got real bad news for you. There's a 33% (laughs) chance that one of those two numbers is going to come up and your day is going to end spectacularly. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the things, Brendan, you mentioned that when, you know, you're rolling two dice to cast, and if neither one of those dice is a one, oh yeah, I'm going to use a primal dice. Oh heck yeah, because mm-hmm. I can. The most I can roll is one more one if I just mm-hmm. use one dice. That's it. I'm not going to miscast. It's it's not possible. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. And if I don't roll a one again, then oh yeah, I'm going again because there's no way I can miscast. I want to go and talk a little bit about the nullstone icon. I really mm-hmm. like that one because it basically makes you in terms of unbinding or dispelling a wizard, which is cool. Mm. And so the bearer can attempt to unbind one spell or attempt to dispel one endless spell in the enemy hero phase in the same manner as a wizard. Each time the bearer, this is the part that's really fun, each time the bearer successfully unbinds a spell or dispels an endless spell using this ability, the bearer can attempt to unbind one additional spell in that phase. It's like, oh gosh, that dude just, (laughs) you just see the potential for fun and craziness there. You know, we talk a lot about the, or not fun experience is when you don't feel like you're participating. Mm. <laughs> the other person's just doing stuff and there's nothing you can do about it. This makes me think that you are going to feel like you're participating and you can yeah. participate. And I think that's great that you give people a chance to do that. Yeah. So I want to share some overall thoughts on this, but Brendan, did you want to say anything about the pebble? Not really. I yeah. have a hard time getting my mind around what this artifact like actually does, yeah. where you either have to like keep this character almost in isolation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or, like, hope that your opponent is going to, like, throw area of effect or multiple effects spells, like, at this character where you just go, like, if you do it on a four-up, I ignore it. Like, it just seems... (laughs) I don't fully understand where the counterplay comes in. Because your opponent can just look at it and go, okay. And... Yeah, shrug. And go grab something else and go, okay, well, I'll go kill something else with this spell. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, when I first read it, it just struck me as... A enhancement that you might put on a mega boss on Ma Crusha or mm-hmm. a Frost Lord on Stonehorn. But if you're putting on a Frost Lord on Stonehorn, that means you're not taking any wizards in your Ma Tribes army. I don't know Ma Tribes that well, whether that's a good idea or bad idea. 
Well, I mean, it, it also means you're playing a, an orc army. You're not you're not playing any wizards, which right. I... Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a fair number of lists that don't take any of the we're not shamans. Although sometimes you'll see them taking the you usually end up going and giving the arcane tome to yeah. you know to somebody, t- and you go from there. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so even in those instances where, yeah, you might have a beat stick that could go off on its own because of what you're sacrificing, yeah, with your list building, that may not even be relevant Mm -hmm. in the real world as well. As far as overall thoughts on this, right, almost all armies in the game have a way to take wizards. Mm -hmm. So corn, have we done that? Have we ruled it out where... Yeah, so corn can't be wizards anymore. With the change to arcane tome, they can't be wizards. We've got corn, we've got now, there's a regiment of renown that you can do with a wizard, but right now, Sons of Bayman outside regiment of renown, they're not allowed to have wizards. Unless unless you do arcane tome. Right, you have access to arcane tome, you have access to their artifact that lets them do things as if they were a wizard. Right. There are ways of doing it. Yeah, but they don't have any natural allies that let you do that, and they don't have any natural wizards. They have methods of getting you to places where Mm -hmm. you would be in a place where you are precluded from having uh, null stone adornments, but... Yeah. All this is to say, overall, I don't know that these go far enough as an incentive to not Mm. take wizards Mm. is the bottom line. Yeah. So you're saying for an army that can take wizards. For an army, so number one, for an army that can take wizards, yeah. So I tried this out, again, apologies if I talk about Stormcast way too much. That's the only army that I've got my personal experience Much as you need to. Yeah, (laughs) so it's just, right, that's what we do. We go to our personal reference point of what we're doing. I deliberately tried this out. I took no encounters, no wizards, and Cantors mm. with the auto and bind is the obvious choice with Stormcast. Um, order is in a place of luxury right now where almost all order <laughs> armies can ally in Knight and Cantors with auto and binds. That's going to be incredible this season. I deliberately took Nullstone Icon and Pouch of Null Dust, no wizards, uh, to try all this out, right? And it did not get there. When you take the overall package, like you take the grand strategy situation into account, there's an, we'll, we'll get into, there's an amazing grand strategy, one of the better, maybe not amazing, one of the better grand strategies, spellcasting savant, keep your wizard general alive, your Antorian locus general wizard alive. Yeah. That's really attractive for a number of armies, I think, particularly if you can do bodyguarding. So that's off the table, right? The Antorian Acolytes Battalion is off the table. You have too many sacrifices, is what I'm getting at, with the Nelson endorments. I don't think they push these quite far enough. So okay. we don't have to That's get into fair. like what that would look like. It may almost be there, but it's just not quite there, I think, on the whole. Yeah. If my list naturally didn't have wizards and there wasn't a meaningful benefit to me shoehorning them in, this is fine. But exactly to your point, if you have meaningful access to them, yeah, the you give up too much to get once right. per battle. Your opponent mm-hmm. has a maybe once kind of thing that's going to happen or you get an extra unbind and if you successfully unbind you get to keep unbinding but at that point your opponent (laughs) probably has some pretty good casters so that's negative return on investment is what it is you can unbind this 53 that i rolled (laughs) right yeah for sure so we're going to talk about the realm sphere magic which is the three spells new ones that we got tyler what is your take on which one of these you like best of all of them Best of all of them, it's got to be Horfrost, of course. Horfrost is cast on 8. It has a range of 12. It's pick a friendly unit wholly within 12, invisible. Pick one of their melee weapons and roll a die. It's a d3. So you then choose to change their to hit, to wound, or rune characteristic to the result of that die. So if you roll a 5, it becomes oh, a 3. right. Maybe you change your rent characteristic to three. 
if you roll uh, one or two, yeah, <laughs> you're now hitting on ones, which of course you can't hit on ones, but you can have protection against any minuses to hit. So that's mm-hmm. incredible. Uh, there's so much variety to this spell. It's one of the big standouts of the season. We're going to see it quite a bit. I would think even with all the anti-magic that could very well be rocking around. Mm-hmm. It's amazing on horde units. So you can make <laughs> you can make these big old units quite terrifying, whether yeah. it's clan rats or giant rats or skeletons or yeah, you guys yeah. got any that come to mind? Spite revenants? You're talking about spite revenants? Spite revs, yeah. This or makes spite gets, revs I mean, you got a thing of gobos, man. Imagine yeah. them with Ren too. <laughs> Even though they're not hitting often, man. I think the thing that people are really excited about, and understandably so, is the rend. But the thing that I think people should be really looking at this for is the modification of a profile to a one or a two in either the hit or to wound. Because, Dan, wouldn't you love for Durthu to be hitting on twos, (laughs) wounding on ones? Oh, it'd be great. Sure. Wouldn't that be great? That would be be fantastic. Yeah. That'd so awesome. something like a stone horn, which, you know, is typically fours and threes, right? You're spending the points mm-hmm. to attack would kill to turn that profile into even just a base three to hit and using the all attack to be twos and threes the rest mm-hmm. of the way down that profile. Sure. Yeah. And yep, it's awesome on a big unit of stabas to bring them all up to rend three. <laughs> And you're going to throw a bucket of dice at your opponent, but they're still probably only going to be making a couple of saves. And yeah, you're going to get more damage out of that. The really nice bit about this spell is there's value in both directions. There is a meaningful way to apply this to all kinds of units. Sure. I can't think of a single unit where this wouldn't be helpful for Yes. Right. It's very utilitarian. There's no question about that. Yep. Chaos Knights are a great example. Yeah, for, <laughs> yeah. there's so many examples, right, Brennan, in that force to hit bucket. Mm. We were talking about Agrodons, uh, Croxagore, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of those. That, so that's a great point. Yeah, the both ends of this. One key element of this is you can't modify the profile further beyond the Horfrost. Mm. Right. Something like Skeletons can't come up to Rend 4, but you can apply things like All Out Attack to oh, wow. improve the dice roll. You can't improve the characteristic beyond mm. what's listed. So you could still do uh, heroic action that would... Give you, you plus one to wound. Right, yep. if you're going, yeah, exactly. best day ever. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. That would still apply, yes, because okay. it's a modification to the roll, not the profile. Got it. Okay, cool. How about you? Same one? So that one's the runaway favorite. Mm-hmm. I'm the same. I have plans for that spell. We probably should mention Merciless Blizzard. Yeah, it's so, there. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, the 4d6 mortal wounds spell? It's a small thing, like 4d6 mortal wounds, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some healthy constraints. Uh, number one, cast value of 12. So, hello, primal dice. Range of 12. You know, there are things that you can do to keep your juicy bits protected, screened mm-hmm. from that range, mm-hmm. even from hero phase teleporting. So there are, as we get into the end of spells later on, more ways of doing damage through spells in the hero phase. So if you have ways of doing hero phase teleporting, especially if you've got ways to do hero phase teleporting and then get out of dodge, like potentially Skaven does with, you know, Grace here coming mm-hmm. in with Skitter Leap and then 3d6 casting, maybe with Primal Dice, and then getting out of dodge with their knot holes, it can get scary. But uh, this spell has not been coming up that much so far. As I said, there's another mm-hmm. downside to it. So you roll 46 mortal wounds for each roll one, the caster suffers D3 mortal wounds that cannot be negated. Now, that's not a huge blowback, but it's something. It's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. 
if you're going to have and a small wizard, which most of these Albundis are. Well, they have to be. They're nine, yeah, they're right. nine or less. They can't yeah. have it otherwise. That is significant if you're spiking that D3. So. And the other thing, there's no way at all to modify the range of this. So no spell portal. Sorry, Dan, no spell singer ah. on your Warsaw Revenants. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no. So that would be frightening. No Arcan yeah. to make it range 18. Nope. Right. <laughs> nope. Fun stuff. It's fine. You know, again, there'll be a few ways, not a lot though, but there are a few ways to get rid of this if you want to. But you know what? A lot of those are once per game. Those, yeah. you know, and so fine. I, I'll just do it next turn or the turn after when I get more primal dice if I want to. I think Blizzard can be an interesting one use I found with it. It can be an interesting counterpunch threat where, you know, you're going against corn or mm. mild tribes or whatever that's screaming into you. And it's part of your counterpunch, right? Where you're kind of, sure. you're setting up your castle. Yeah. And wherever they come into your castle, they're going to be within 12 inches of Blizzard. You may not get it off, but you at least have it as part of your counterpunch. I think that's kind of interesting. One of the things I think is interesting about Blizzard too is remember you have to give up one of the spells from your spell lord to do this so mm. are you going to want to trade that for something like this that may or may not work you know right. Right. i would rather trade one of my lore spells for hoarfrost in you know, that kind of a thing so yeah. there's just that again decision point where yeah, it's cool, but... And the last thought on that is it affects the primal dice hmm. decision-making, right? Because like you're immediately thinking with this spell, am I going to bother to, you know, number one, try to cast it? It's like, okay, you got to spend the cast, right? Which means I'm taking the slot, as you just said. Mm-hmm. And now, okay, am I going to spend primal dice on it? <laughs> and Because you're kind of going all in when you're doing this, mm-hmm. which is an opportunity cost immediately with your ability to do other things that you want to probably spend primal dice on, like Horfrost mm-hmm. or another or Mystic Shield for that matter. Mystic Shield is still one of the best spells in the game. Yeah. So yeah, I think there are a number of trade-offs with the spell. It may not as wild as it looks like on paper. Well, and I referred to Brendan's earlier comment about, you know, you are sitting in the cat seat where you know what your opponent is doing here. So your yeah. opponent throws two dice at this, two of their four primal dice, but you're the unbinder. You got four. It's like, fine, go ahead, yeah. throw your four. I'm going to throw six and I'm probably going <laughs> to unbind this. You know, you have that knowledge. Well, and you don't have to roll all your dice all the right. same time. You can make the yep. choices one at a time. <laughs> right. So if right. you hit it, cool, you're done. Leave it yeah, alone. Right. You know, the other two uh, that you were planning on spending, you don't have to. Right. Or if you roll so poorly on the first one, you just go, mathematically, I know I'm not going to get there. I'm going to cut my losses and sunk cost, move on. Sure. You know? right. Yep. Which is part of this mini game we've all discussed, and it makes the game more interesting. And you get those moments where, you know, somebody unbinds it. It's just, even if it's unbound and you're the caster, it's still a fun moment. And it's a memorable mm-hmm. moment in the game. And, you know, that's yeah. one of the things we enjoy about this game is those things we talk about afterwards all right are we ready to move on to command traits sure okay if your general is an al bundy you could pick one command trait from the following list and what do you think tyler I've been rocking Eater Magic a little bit. <laughs> Each time this general successfully unbinds a spell, roll a dice on a 5+, plus. the caster no longer knows the spell and may not cast again for the rest of the battle. I went 3-for-3 three three the first time rocking this spell, <laughs> driving my friend Travis with Zinch crazy. <laughs> That's probably never going to happen again over the entire year. That was a fun first experience. Yeah, sorry, Texas, you no longer know protection, so... <laughs> You no longer know searing white light. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm curious, Brendan, as a competitive, or, you know, a, a player who can be competitive, mm. what do you think about this? Because, I mean, I hear some people say, well, it's not worth the risk, the math isn't great, blah, blah, blah. The math's not great, right? That's the first concern, because the other bit of it is the trade-offs that you're making with your other command oh, traits, right? that's right. huge. As an OPR player, right, which is what I'm taking to Meltdown, I have access to lots of Albondis, lots of Locusts, super eligible here, no problem there. Mm-hmm. I can trade... Eater of Magic, if one of my wizards successfully unbinds, right, on a 5-up, I steal that spell. I can trade that for minus 1 to hit, minus 1 to wound, wholly within 12 inches in the shooting phase. Mm. Minus 3 to charge for enemy (laughs) units that are within 12 inches of my general. Yeah. 5-up, your opponent has to spend 2 command points. First spell I cast out of the Bone Reaper lore, you know, by the general, is automatically cast and can't be unbound. Mm. I have to pick between that and this. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> now, if I was sitting on a character who has some sort of native ability mm. to add bonuses to the unbinding role, that's pretty good. The thing I really like is that you can't fuse this with the Nullstone Adornment. I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't end up oh, with some yeah. sort of like weird infinity loop of <laughs> unbinding, and then your opponent knows, oh, I can't cast anything. You go, bummer. Uh, <laughs> It's interesting. I think it's the only one really worth looking at. I think the other ones are yeah, whatever. What's the value of knowing all three spells from the lore of Primal Frost? Well, uh, I could see someone going, well, I'll be looking to go second. Or if you have an mm-hmm. army that's really oriented around. And as we said, there are more reasons maybe than ever to go to consider going second. And you're getting that extra mm-hmm. cast and extra unbind. So now you've got two with a base one. Or if you've got a, a level two cast, you've got three spells. Yeah, that might be a little interesting. Sure, but let me posit yeah. this argument of extra enhancement. You just know the two spells that you want to know. And then you still have your command trait. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that situation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think the point of giving something up, I mean, I can't imagine playing, you know, with a war song without taking Spellsinger. I mean, it's so powerful mm-hmm. and yeah. it gives you so much flexibility. Now, right. you've got to get a tree out there somewhere besides your first base. That's kind of problematic if you're not taking an ancient. But, you know, once you do that, that just opens up a huge chunk of the board. I don't think this is worth doing that there's a what five up uh, you get an extra primal dice well you're right. going to have plenty anyway probably is it worth giving up a command trait for that five up chance to get an extra dice i don't think so if you are an army that it so happens don't have great command trait options mm-hmm. then yes. yes i think eater magic might suddenly become interesting stormcast is kind of in that space right now particularly if you're not able to mm. do Primal Dice with Master Magic, right? That lessens the value of Master Magic, which is great. As Brendan said at the top, that would be a terrible world to live in. If you're doing Master Magic re-rolling <laughs> and you're adding Primal Dice, no thank you. I think that's the right <laughs> choice by them. They're one of those armies that don't have great options right now as far as command traits. I don't know how many armies are sure. in that situation, right? But yeah, I was just thinking like if Eater Magic is sufficiently intriguing to me at least, then maybe Eye of the Blizzard is one that I need to give a little more concern. Because they're both five ups. And in the case of Eye of the Blizzard, you're getting two cracks. No, start of your hero phase. Yeah, I, I right. was, yeah that would be so. a lot more attractive if it were the hero phase. Yeah. And I think to your point, Tyler, you're right that if you have a poor selection, and we've done enough books, Brendan, where you're going, ooh, I don't know about these command traits. You know, it's an option. And it's yeah. an interesting one, especially in this world that we're going to be mm-hmm. playing in for the next year or so. All right, what's up next? I think battalions. battalions. And we have a couple uh, that we can... Yep, so we have two. There's 
important language change for these battalions specifically. This does not impact the core battalions, like, you know, your battle regiment, your warlord. So specifically for the two battalions here, you have Champion, which is a hero with a wounds characteristic of less than 10 that does not have a mount and is not unique. Infantry remains the same, right? Unit of wounds characteristic of four or less that's not leader, artillery, or behemoth. And monster, behemoth that is not a leader. So the first of these two is Antorian Acolytes, which is two mandatory champions, one optional champion. That's the start of the hero phase, right? So this mm-hmm. is where you get the two cracks at it. Mm-hmm. If there are two or more friendly locust units in this battalion on the battlefield, roll a dice, and on a three-up you gain one primal magic dice. Yeah, it's- pretty good so if you're looking for more dice this is the battalion to take now you have to populate it with at least two locusts and really three because the moment you lose one you lose the effect of this battalion you know and again it's not guaranteed it's pushing your drops to a minimum of four if you're going to max out this battalion Mm -hmm. three if you're going to minimize the battalion but again there's i don't really know the value there which makes it an interesting choice right you know it's the Mm -hmm. choice that bounty hunters should have had where you know it pushed the drops to four but you got a trade-off that was worth always going second if you had to or always being forced to go first this is Mm -hmm. nice this is a good choice i always like to take warlord because i like the extra enhancement it's always nice getting something extra and so my choices between that and this, oof, man, I'm probably taking the en- the extra enhancement because getting five heroes into a list is pretty tough. It can um, start not impossible for Sylvaneth. Yeah, yes, it's for, pretty tough for, for me. Summers, so yeah. the choice is kind of made, but it is an interesting choice for sure. Very yeah, Dan, I'm in the same boat where Sylvaneth and Stormcast, where, again, I've already done my apology for mentioning Stormcast all episode. No, that's fine. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> if you're getting into five heroes, you're making all of equal real sacrifices Oof. in your list composition and yeah. your capacity to play the game. And you have to keep those heroes alive, as Brendan just mentioned, right? So, you know, there's going to be... Last season, we had a lot of area effect damage. Uh, people yeah. like, you know, Night Vexlors are all over the place in Order Armies. You know, Night Vexlor spam, dropping comets doing D3 mortal wounds, everything within six. I think you'll continue to see a fair amount of area of effect damage, mm. which, you know, you don't have, it's not shooting. It's just automatic as a way of killing these Antorian loci. So, yeah, as, as Brendan said, you lose one if you've only got minimum, then, yeah, you've lost your benefit right there. So mm. I think it's a fascinating design. I think they really nailed this, where mm-hmm. if you want Warlord or Command Entourage and this, you're going five heroes. That's a huge change in this composition. Mm-hmm. Choices, choices. Yeah. What about the other one? Yep. So the Wizard Finders of Antor. This is one mandatory champion, one mandatory infantry, one optional infantry, and one optional monster. Mm-hmm. Each time a unit in this battalion is picked to fight, you can say it will go on a wizard hunt. If you do so, pick one melee weapon profile on that unit's war scroll. Remember, it's one of the units. Yeah, and it's one of the weapon profiles on the units when they're fighting. Right. Until the end of that phase, you have one of the attacks characters that melee weapon, but all the attacks that unit makes in that phase must target an enemy wizard. Wizards cannot be included in this battalion. Interesting, super niche. If the game was suddenly very heavily populated with Lumineth, <laughs> everyone would take this battalion for, <laughs> you know, you right. swarm them, you give them Horfrost, and you just watch everything die in droves. <laughs> it's interesting, but I don't know that it's compelling. Mm. Yeah, I think that's well said. It's not even what you're playing. It's mm. what your opponent, opponent is, is playing. playing. Right. right. In many armies, the only wizards that you're going to encounter to get extra attacks for are the ones that are hiding behind walls of bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm. You have now minimum with this, right? If you minimize this battalion, you've pushed yourself to three drops. If you've Mm -hmm. maximized this battalion, 
your minimum at five drops. That's huge. For That's what? Huge. This could have come up in one of my games against Archeon. You know, oh. Beat Stick, that's a wizard, where, okay, I had Vandus and Ten Vindictors. Vandus gives plus mm. one attack on Ten Vindictors. This would have given me another plus one attack. So now I'm up to 41 attacks at max, <laughs> uh, which, you know, it's pretty good for a 240-point unit. And now it's Archeon, so that may not mean a whole lot. But, yeah, if you've got, like I said, it's niche. If you've got ways, potentially you can lean into it, maybe 15 Vindictors. A number of Stormcast lists can, or certain lists can struggle against these Death Star units. Like, my list is not designed to compete against Archeon. I have to just try to minimize what he does. I can't kill him, for the most part, yeah. with my kind of list. I don't have the burst damage in the list that I like to play, right? So I have to try to minimize what he does, which is very difficult at times. I don't think they push this far enough. I'm not sure, like, what they would need to do differently to make this more attractive. It's a really cool concept, but yeah, it's not going to get there for most people. Okay, gents. Shall we move on to strats? Strats and tactics, yeah. Yeah. So we have six new grand strategies. Yep. The first one is control the nexus. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if two or more friendly wizard units are wholly within six inches of the center of the battlefield. Okay. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not no, sold on that one. No, that no, one. That's not, not great. It's not a hard yeah. pass, but it's a pass for sure. Yeah. Why don't you talk about the next one, Tyler, because you mentioned it already. Overall, for me, with at least my initial sense of this set of grant strategies, is you're looking at two directions. Uh, spellcasting Savant, when the battle ends, complete this grand strategy, the model picked to be your general is an Antorian Locus, and that unit mm-hmm. has not been slain. That's going to be, I think, a highly popular grand strategy this season for armies that have a wizard that, that they have means of keeping alive, right? So whether that's bodyguarding or it's like teleporting. So I've, I think I've already mentioned the Lord Arcanum on Griff Charger. I mm. played him over the weekend. He never died. Every movement phase, I can just teleport him anywhere on the battlefield outside of nine, right? And I could potentially, and even if you're going with a foot wizard, you can do uh, Praetors. A number of armies have bodyguards with wizards. So you're either going that, or if you don't have a way to keep a wizard alive, you've got two options. I think Slaughter of Sorcery or Overshadow, which Mm. says, can you kill all wizards on the battlefield, basically? Including yours. Including yours, potentially. (laughs) Um, Or can you kill all enemy battle line and have one of your battle line alive? Now, Mm. obviously, if you have a better grand strategy in your book, then you're going to do that. Basically, that calculus as far as the directions, because I think the others are pretty terrible. I keep looking for, you know, got to get my list ready, what, in the next week or so? Mm -hmm. We have to have it ready for a meltdown. I mean, Warsong Revenant, why would you not do this? Since, again, he can move almost anywhere he needs to. He's got a four-up ward. Uh, He has the capability of healing. There's a pretty good chance, unless your opponent is tabling you or targeting that unit, which doesn't happen too often if you're playing right. smart. Yeah, I get my three points. Yeah, I love this. I think it's a great one. And the next one, Brendan, talk about the Slaughter of Sorcery. <laughs> right, yeah. So Tyler already mentioned it. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no wizard units on the battlefield. That's... <laughs> what? Yours, mine, the other, right? Well, no, nobody's a wizard. Unless you're playing an army that has no wizards, corn. No wizards, right. <laughs> why would you take the? Why are you going to kill your own wizards? That just that's okay. so counterintuitive. Part of my plan is for this wizard to die during the game. <laughs> I'm just going to throw him into you know a unit of blight lords. Yeah, Top just of see one, what happens. I teleport this wizard forward and I tell him to die. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, crazy one. How about Baron Ice Scape? Yeah, so when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy of all enemy units that have artifacts of power, yikes, are destroyed 
and there are no enemy units within six inches of the center of the battlefield. We really needed that and there. Yeah. I'm so hard glad we pass. got that. Oh, my lord. Yeah. <laughs> Very Every, hard pass. Everyone with artifacts was going to get just absolutely mulched. Yeah, oh it's, it's so frustrating that there's two conditions to this. Just pick one. It would have been fine, I think. Kill all enemy units with an artifact's power. That's hard enough. Yes. In a, yes. In a lot of matchups. You don't need the and. <laughs> right. Overshadow. Um, what about this one? Yeah, so Tyler already talked about this one a little bit. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if all enemy battle line units from your opponent's starting army are destroyed. Right? Something that we've seen before. Yep. And there's at least one friendly battle line unit from your starting army on the battlefield. So sorry, you can't summon in to save your butt on this one. Yep, starting, right. starting. Yep. I think this one will be pretty popular or mm -hmm. for those who don't have a great book grant strategy and for those who don't think that they can achieve spellcasting savants. This will probably be a go-to for some armies. And finally, we have Magic Made Manifest. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are two or more endless spells or incarnates on the battlefield that are controlled by or bonded to friendly units. Ooh, that one is just so dicey, man, because, mm -hmm. you know, okay, you have to have two endless spells. And again, I just talked about, you know, the, the low yeah. number you're going to need to unbind a spell. So I'm going to go second that turn. And you know what? I'm just going to unbind one of those two yep. spells that are on the board, you lose. Yep. It's like, wow, I don't know about that one. That one's... Yeah, or you've broken an incarnate free. And right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is very possible. So that's strats, now tactics. <laughs> yep, so eight of them, all very new. First of which, intimidate the invaders. You complete this battle tactic at the end of your turn. If there are more friendly units wholly outside your territory, then there are friendly units within your territory. So, right, incentive to just get outside of your deployment area. Brendan introduced me to this one in our game and it was very achievable. I just had to choose which units were gonna be outside yeah. of yeah. my territory. And this of course depends greatly on- The mission. You right? know, if you have a very large no man's land in between your two territories, then it's easy to cross that 13 inch line or whatever it is, it's no problem. Yeah. But it's very dependent on that, but it's a tactic so you can choose. How about reprisal? What do you think, Tyler? You complete this battle tactic if an enemy unit that destroyed a friendly general earlier in the battle is destroyed in this turn. So, of course, first thing that comes to mind is Warmaster status. Yeah, that could give you an additional mm. way mm. of having mm. someone eligible to be destroyed. Mm. The second thing is you could potentially, if you're getting desperate for a battle tactic, you could go sacrifice your general. <laughs> yeah. oh, <laughs> go sure. on a suicide mission. <laughs> well, it's a two-phase. So you have to kill your general... First, then the next time your turn comes around, you can yep. go. You We're fooled. getting really desperate. You've We're fallen really... right into my trap. <laughs> yep. You know, at the bottom of five, when you're yeah. one point down, this might be a good one to pick. <laughs> you just throw your general in there, get your two points array. Nope. Nope. Yeah. So your general already has to be dead yeah. oh, in order to yeah. pick this, and you have yeah. to destroy the unit yes. that killed your, killed your, your general. general. Yep, yeah. got it. Man. Which, depending on what unit that was, yep. That might be impossible. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Or it there, might already be dead. There's that other piece, yep. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to think through this one. Like, what are armies that, again, are not going to go spellcasting savant as their grand strategy where they want to keep their general loci alive? And, yeah, where it's like they're designed to go deliberately get their general killed early. They can give up the 
command points that they're getting for their general being alive on the battlefield. Maybe they have another war master. They have, uh, but yeah, it's I mean, this is all I'm, I'm talking crazy town here. Obviously, this is a pretty challenging battle tactic. All a sequel. Endless expropriation is the next one. Pick one enemy unit that is controlling or bonded to an endless spell or incarnate. You complete this battle tactic if at the end of your turn. If any of the following are true, that enemy unit has been destroyed. That endless spell is wild. That endless spell is controlled by or bonded to a friendly unit, or that incarnate is wild. Okay? I'm okay with that one. You have four kind of weird conditions that have to be met, but none of them feel impossible if the door is opened for you, Mm. then... And you have multiple cracks at getting it. For something like Zinch, this is an automatic one if you have a Lord of Change, where you just go, goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. And the spell gone. That's fine. Not terribly easy for most armies... Not too difficult, depending on the right opponent. Next up is Magical Domination, or Magical Dominance. You complete this battle tactic at the end of your turn if a friendly wizard unit successfully casts one or more spells, and none of the spells cast by any units in your army were unbound. Okay, if you have a solo caster or something like that, right? Yeah. Where you're only casting, like, one spell, you know, that's yeah. your thing, you know, you're largely a not-casting army. Okay, yeah. fine. You know, the <laughs> list I was playing against Dan on Thursday, Yeah. right? Arcans, there's three casts right there. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a Bone Shaper, right? Cast number four. An Asifactor, cast number five. Yeah. You get a free Underworlds Warband, so I had a Mir Kainan. Mm-hmm. So six casts. Yeah. If I were to pull this off, I need to either forego five of those casting attempts, realistically, mm. or... Mm-hmm not do this yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is i'm Fair just waiting balance. i want you to pick magical dominance and i'm gonna have my four or five primal dice waiting uh, and oh, yeah i'm just gonna wait i'm just gonna say yeah cool all right <laughs> <laughs> oh guess what that's where i roll double sixes and i go <laughs> ka-ching <laughs> you didn't get your tactic yeah, yeah. what about magical right. mayhem or do you have any other comments on well that i do love the design of magical dominance i think it's, yep. it's nice the scenario that brendan described is exactly i feel like why this was designed this way or, or certainly is if whether it was intended or not that's the outcome it's a good trade-off but yeah if you're like a high drop army as i said you've got low number of wizards then just put a wizard or two outside of unbind range mm-hmm. if you can you know your high drops you can usually do that in terms of your opponent finishing first and then yeah cast a spell hope you don't roll terrible use primal dice as needed and there you go yeah i think it's a really nice design for magical mayhem pick one enemy unit on the battlefield you complete this battle tactic if that unit is destroyed by damage inflicted by a spell or the abilities of an endless spell. Yep, very solid. I mean, this yep. might be the one that makes the most sense for this season that you would see on a list of battle tactics. Yep. It's potentially eligible, you know, as a, you have just a couple of casters, but you're doing well in a game. It's getting into round four, round five. Somebody's got a wound or two. Maybe you can do an arcane bolt. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could, right, you could just do a, a very low damage spell or endless spell to finish something off. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you've set up some combo damage, you know, the prior round, you got the double, and then you finish them off. I actually did that one of my games yesterday, right? Literally got a Mega Gargant down to one wound <laughs> left. So I kept him on one wound left. <laughs> now let's do Magical Dominance. Nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> oh, no, Magical Mayhem. Sorry. Yep. Bait and Trap, Brendan. What do you think? You complete this tactic if two or more friendly units retreated this turn, and two or more friendly units made a charge move this turn. They don't have to be the same units that made the retreat and the charge. Mm-hmm. You just have to have two units that retreated and two units that charged. It can be the same units. Mm-hmm. It might actually teach people to use the retreat mechanic in the game. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Or if you have yeah. units that can retreat and charge. Right, then it's a gimme. Boom, yeah. Yeah. Night Haunt. Yep. Bone Reapers. 
we know you can do everything with Bone Reapers, Brennan. It's yep. fine. You don't have to tell us. Yeah. You're going to show us once everything. again. Of course. Everything's allowed to happen. Great tactic. Love this one. For what you say, because it's doing weird things in the game. Doing different things in the game. Not weird things, different things. So that's always good. Led into the Maelstrom. Boy, this is an easy one. Yeah, completes the battle of one or more friendly heroes and one or more friendly battleline units. Each made a charge move this turn, and at least one of those units is within three of an enemy unit at the end of the turn. Yeah, like, definitely, I, I can see on paper, it feels easy. There are can be times, I've noticed two of my games so far, right, where I wanted to do this, but I had to operate carefully. You know, it's weird things like, okay, I've got three tree revs that are alive that I've got to charge into, mm. but I've only got two vanquishers, my battle line, that can charge into them. I just lost two of my vanquishers to five tree revs in the last combat, so they came out on the wrong end of that stick. So I have to make sure that my vanquishers are not going to die, but I also have to make sure that I'm whittling down the tree revs enough to where they're mm. not likely to kill them, right? It can create these situations that may not be obvious just reading this. So you have to be careful to make sure that you're actually achieving the within three inches of an enemy unit with one of your units at the end of that. Right. But yeah, great tactic. Okay, Surround and Destroy is the eighth one. Pick three different friendly units on the battlefield. You complete this battle tactic at the end of your turn. If each of those units is wholly within six inches of a different battlefield edge and two or more of those units are wholly outside your territory. Weird. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of weird. Kind of bizarre. I mean, you have to have the ability to position yourself there. And I guess it depends on what point you are in the game, too. You know, if you're overwhelming yeah. your opponent and you have freedom of the board, then you can just move units where you want them and you can get this, right? Yeah, if you can get to holy within six right. inches of three different board That's edges. the issue, yeah. right? But again, you're going to have to have a lot of freedom of movement and yeah, the ability, you're right, of your units you know, to get to where they need to be. Yeah, it's another one where there's differential advantage, right? If you've got, obviously, teleporters, this is kind of like the teleporter battle tactic. Yeah. Not everybody has teleporters that can do this. I mean, you're sitting pretty with the greatest teleporters in the game with your tree revs. Usually, yeah. seven of the lists are going to have a couple units of those. And then right there, you've got your two or more wholly outside of your territory, right? Yep. And you just have one within your territory, a different unit within your territory, like your war song. Yeah, I like it because it's incentivizing doing different things as far as positioning. I have been wanting to see more battle tactics that incentivize different positioning and movement in the game and mm -hmm. a little more movement and positioning base than we've seen in past seasons. So I do like that in general, but yeah, it's going to be tough. Like Mega Gargants are going to hate this because, <laughs> right, for obvious reasons. Unless you're running a bunch of single man crusher gargants and you've right. cast them to the wind <laughs> right. for some unknowable reason just for the sake of accomplishing this battle tactic now yep. the thing about this tactic that makes it doable early if there's a no man's land you have one unit that's near your board edge and then you have two units up on the flank that just mm -hmm. bump over right. your territory line Right. That's when it gets more manageable. Right. But now you've played all the way across the board and everything is over there early. In Which I think it's also kind of cool, dude, because I was thinking about that as well. And like maybe incentivizing more lists to have some MSU mobile pieces like Ether Wings or whatever it might be. But yeah, just some units that you're willing to just throw over there on a board edge early game to help get you this battle tactic early. I think that could be a nice little soft incentive for a little more units or different units in the list for some armies. Yeah. Where are you at, Melnick, with these tactics? With the tactics? As a set of battle tactics, I think they're fine. There's a few that are going to be manageable throughout the course of the game, right? So you kind of need that just for everybody. And mm. they are ideally supplemented by the one or two that are going to be pretty manageable out of your book. Mm -hmm. Ideally, not all books are created equal in that regard. <laughs> Soul Blight. And then you've got a couple that are really flavored and oriented towards 
this edition. I like right. these quite a bit more than the last one, where you had to have Galatian veterans and Galatian champions and bodyguard and or the sworn bodyguard and things like that, where there was basically half of that card there was no value just, to. They were just irrelevant. I found. Yeah. I mean, that's we talked about that. I just thought we that was part of that big discussion we had, right? Where my position was, okay, well, if we're supposed to be playing in the that was the Galatian veterans, or yeah. no, that was the galley champ. I, galley I, I champs. I get yeah. but galley champs. Yeah, but, but I mean, there were things that had galley champs and galley vets, you know, like and the sworn yeah. bodyguard and things like that. Right. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, if, if this is what we're supposed to be doing, then let's do it. But the way that this is done, we're not going to be doing it. These are going to get Galatian champion battle tactics are going to be complete. They were. They were completely irrelevant to that season yeah. because we had enough that we can do. Now, that may have been a better world to live in as opposed to us having to be shoehorned in to try and achieve these pretty difficult, weird battle tactics. So No one went about yeah. achieving them. Like, you know, forget being shoehorned into it. No one yeah. went after them. Yeah, because, because you didn't really have to. Because some had of them were impossible. And yeah, there will be some of these where, you know, your opponent doesn't have endless spells, they don't have an incarnate, so right. okay, endless expropriation is off the board, fine. But after that, everything else is non-dependent on your opponent. Yeah. None of them. You know, whereas before, it was mission dependence, it was opponent dependence, it was units that you took that you really didn't want to be taking dependence. Like, yeah. it's okay if they're difficult and you've chosen to slot into something that is doable, but... When you fundamentally had a battle tactic that was not achievable in over two-thirds of the mission just right. by the way that the battle plan was laid out, yeah. that's garbage. This, at least, if it's difficult, there is a condition which you can pursue of your own accord and achieve it. You mm -hmm. can choose to forego it, but it's not your fault mm. for showing up with being able to access all eight battle plans for the last handbook. Right. And, you know, your TO goes, we're not running these missions. Okay, well, now I've got seven of eight. And, uh, <laughs> okay, well, now I've got six of eight. And then you've got right. a guy over here with a book that's just like, I can do all five by existing. Like, what... Yeah, right. <laughs> That's its own problem, but then what is this? Yeah, I agree with Brendan that I think these are a better set. Pretty happy with these, personally, mm -hmm. yeah, with where we are. Dan, what do you think about these battle tactics? I like them because Over. they're not out of your control. You know, these are things that you have to make choices, as you said, Brendan. Most of them are things that you have to actively pursue that aren't dependent on something that you have no way to determine you have no way to affect and mm. that's just really really frustrating when that's what you're stuck with there is always that issue of what's available in books you know the whole auto tactic thing but that's mm -hmm. a whole nother discussion because that's a mm -hmm. big game discussion rather than right. these individual tactics for this season i think that no matter what kind of army you're going to play these are all things that you can achieve or almost all of them mm -hmm. are achievable and that's good that you don't have to look somewhere else for that stuff mm -hmm. because some books and i'll say my own there's some stuff that's pretty tough to get in mm -hmm. my tactics and i like you know the fact that i can look to the main tactics to get most of my stuff that i want to get in terms of right. the game and use my own as a backup if i need to yeah, yeah. that's my thoughts on this awesome all right so battle plan time gentlemen here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Let's get started on this. What do you guys think overall about these? Then we can talk about the individual ones. 
Tyler and I have very diametric opinions on this. And that's yeah. good. The, just give us a summary, guys, on uh, each one of you on what do you think? I think in terms of running an event, there's really maybe only seven battle plans that are there for consideration that are in terms of quote-unquote balanced. Okay. I think the other five are either too variable or live in that category that people have complained about where you're removing the value of what some armies do that are paid for in the points inherently. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of one of the missions, you need to have garrisonable terrain and not everybody is going to have a good set of garrisonable terrain that you can put on the table. Sure. What do you think, Tyler? Yeah, we're not necessarily that far, man, apart, I don't think. There are three that you're probably not going to see for good reasons. And then there are two that have some issues, but I could see getting play at tournaments that are, I told you guys, for better or worse, I tend to have a pretty low bar of what I would see as competitively viable nowadays <laughs> for battle plans. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know that we're that far apart necessarily. I'm kind of resigned as always when I see these. I'm not going to be a TO. I'm going to be a player. And I look at these and it's like I have to rely on the TOs that have, you know, the experience they're going to run events to make reasonable decisions in terms of which ones to include that are yeah. going to be as fair as they can to their players that are participating in that event. Mm. And whatever that is, you know... <laughs> A look at the pack, there you go. Those are the ones that he picked. And yeah. you, you can't say, oh, well, you know, maybe I can get a, a mulligan on this one and, and, you know, that kind of a thing. It's But, Brendan, you mentioned it, is that, you know, the TO has that choice and there's some limiting to the choices that are reasonable here based on what you see. But for me, I, you know, my only comment is that if it doesn't have a no man's land where I can put some overgrown terrain I don't like it. Mm. So that's like what half of them. There's like five or six mm. of them I think that are like that. Otherwise, fine. You know, I'll just adjust. I like the fact that there's some really very, very unique mechanics in some of these that are very cool. Like the pulse is the first one we're going to talk about. That's just really neat. Dan, you've mentioned overgrown twice. Remind me, what's the requirements or limitations on? It's got to be overgrown? a piece of terrain that is wholly outside of enemy territory. Anywhere else, enemy. wholly outside of enemy territory, right? You know, it can't. You know, if it's an inch in, yeah, you can't move it so that it's not. It's yeah. The rest of it's that one little piece is in. You can't put an overgrown terrain marker there. All good. So. Guys, why don't we start with Pulse then and talk about that one a little bit. I like this one. I really do. Yeah. Uh, basically, we have territories that come in, what, 11 inches on either side. And then there's a huge no man's land. There are four objectives, one marked A, one marked B on either end. And you have those four objectives pretty much evenly spaced across the center of the board. So the mechanic here is that at the start of the second battle round, after you determine which player will take the first turn and here's where that thing i really like about who am i going to go first or second so i can pick where the pulse starts right yeah and the second player picks either objective a on one end or b on the other to be the pulse for the battle round that's where the pulse starts and at the start of each subsequent battle round the objective adjacent to the pulse that has not been the pulse becomes the pulse so this basically moves across the table for those four yeah. battle rounds from either left to right or right to left depending yep. on the start point exactly and only one objective could be the pulse and this pulse really where the pulse is really drives the victory points you're going to line your army up a certain way and what yeah. are you going to do are you going to 
put it so you can cover both sides of the pulse. Most people aren't going to do that. And so what are you going to give up to make sure you can have your people in the right place to, yeah. to get that done? Well, and it's just the priority roll into two. Yep. Right? That's the only priority roll yep. that, that matters in terms of influencing the rest of the battles. So that's a very big dice roll. But when you get over to scoring mechanics, it's one if you hold one, two if you hold the pulse, one for each victory point adjacent to the pulse that you control, right? So when it's on the edge, there's only one of those objectives that's eligible. And then two points for your battle tactic. So for the first battle round, there's only three points that are eligible on the table. Mm-hmm. Battle round two, you have something that's the pulse. Cool. So there's two points there. There's one that's adjacent to it. That's three. You can hold one for one, four, and then another one for six. So it goes three, six, seven, seven, six. Mm-hmm. You are better off committing to the middle, earning the seven points in rounds three and four, and yeah. then you know pushing for that last yeah. one at the end. If you don't have an army that can flex out to the wings and then follow the pulse around, which is what I did mm. to you on Thursday, yeah. then your best bet is to get in the middle and then be able to turn the corner at the last minute to go get the last set of objectives in five. What do you think? 100% Tom? agree. That's exactly how this has played out for me so far. We're playing in two games with my list, it is, for better or worse, it has to be a castle early. You know, Tim Vindictors, Bandas, multiple supporting heroes. I've got deep strikers like Vigilors and Vanquishers. So round one, I'm up and being given first turn, right? So round one, I will tiptoe like a unit of Vanquishers on one of the objectives probably one of the middle ones, so that they can function as a stretched out screen in front of my castle. My castle is operating in the middle, and then I've got various pieces that are designed to help play on the edges. And then I'm just shifting that castle either left or right as the game is going on, yet regardless of where the pulse is going. So yeah, it's an awesome mission. Uh, Brendan, before the show mentioned there's some potential of scores running away, right? Like if you get someone's really putting the hurt on somebody, you could get some big scores going. I think th- I think this has the most scoring differential potential mm-hmm. of any of these missions. It's, yeah, that's interesting, but hopefully that's not going to be happening too much. Let's move on to the next one then, which is Nexus Collapse. Yep. So this is uh, deployment in quadrants. Mm-hmm. So you have one quadrant to the other, and then you are nine inches away from that center point. So there's a no man's land circle that you can't deploy in, and then two empty quadrants. The objectives are in a hexagon shape, which is a little different. (laughs) Scoring for this is one, two, more battle tactic. But the unusual bit of this is instability. At the start of each battle round after the first, after determining who will take the first turn, the player with the fewest victory points can choose to collapse up to two objectives. If both players are tied on victory points, the players roll off, and the winner can choose to collapse one objective. Roll a dice for each unit within six inches of any collapsed objectives. On a 4-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Once all rolls have been made for those units, remove all collapsed objectives from the battlefield. That's an interesting one. Mm. You can potentially be out of objectives start of battle round 4. Not super sure why you'd do that, unless you (laughs) knew that like, if you were behind 1 or 2 and your opponent's grand strategy was done, and you knew that you were going to get yours and your battle tactics were achievable and theirs weren't. But there's some kind of big brain maths going on when you make that decision. Yeah. It's interesting, but I don't know how I feel about this one in particular. Because it is specifically the player with the fewer battle victory points is making the decision, rather than it being dependent on player turn, you could have somebody in a situation to be on fewer battle points, going second, removing objectives that you know that your opponent can't get to, and bring it to a place where you can position yourself to effectively automatically win. 
Yeah, I think a common play might be if you can't have your opponent go first, you go second, battle round one, and then you do what you need to do to, to be one, one point, yep. to drop one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you give away round two. You should be in a pretty good spot potentially from that point. Yeah, it just seems to have that immediate tactic or whatever strategy tactic mm-hmm. that you would employ in that context. I haven't played this one. I'm hopeful that this will be a pretty good mission, but I see some of the potential issues with it. Mm-hmm. Lines of communication, same deployment as the first one, the pulse. The difference is there's three objectives, one in the middle and then two that are 15 inches away from them, yep. also in the middle line. Mm-hmm. I'll start with this. I hate this mission. Yeah. I, mm. I think this one is terrible. Yep. Not for the deployment, right? The scoring is standard, but the special rule for this one is yeah. disruption. At the start of each battle round, after determining which player will take the first turn, the player taking the second turn can become Bellacore and disrupt a single phase. During that battle round, each time a model in their opponent's army issues a command in that phase, their opponent must roll a dice, and on a 3-up, an additional command point must be spent in order to use that command. Their opponent can choose whether or not to spend the additional command point. If they choose not to spend the additional command point, that command is not received. The command ability still counts as having been used, and the command point that was spent to issue that command is lost. Yeah. Breaking news, Dan. The OBR player hates this mission. Oh, I'm shocked. This is even worse <laughs> for, for everyone else. I'm just being that guy. Yeah. yeah. I, had no, I, I had to take it. Yeah, the guy who's got the bucket of command points. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I should be okay with this one. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just, sure. I'll just use fewer commands. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, Dan, what do you think about this one? I just don't like anything that disrupts the command point mechanic in the game. I just don't like that. I don't Even though I don't, it's just one phase. Yeah, I it's get it. Gonna, it's combat phase usually. Yeah, but... Maybe in moving phase at times, but... That's significant. Yeah. You know, no all at command, no all at defense. It's like, poof, man. Yeah, I just don't like it. it. Of course, you know, Brendan loves it when he can turn off command points or commands for everybody else. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, with his more gas. But that's part of the game. That's part of those you know rules for that unit, that war scroll. You pay the points for that. Right. I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And I know it's coming, too. Right. This is right. just like, no. I don't like it when somebody else screws with that resource. Mm. It's one thing that you can turn off my commands or whatever it is. It's another thing if you make it cost more for me to do it because I already Mm. have a limited number of resources. And that just frustrates the heck out of me. You know, it's kind of like the Lumina thing with, you know, it's going to cost you two. Okay, fine. (laughs) You know, but I don't like that rule either. And so this Uh is kind of a battle plan version of that that I don't care for a whole lot. So that's my thought on this one. Brendan, how close is this one in your mind to the camp of turning off allegiance abilities or approximating that? Or is it not so much that or it's something different? I'm just trying to better understand your guys' perspective on this one. Yeah, so this is less turning off an allegiance ability because this, with the exception of really, in my mind, two armies, Mm -hmm. this affects them all else equally in terms of how that works. The difference is, is things that don't use command abilities or don't use command points in the spend process, things Mm. that are issued for free, boats. Yeah. (laughs) That's not going to impact them very much. But this is one of those things where the level of feels bad can get cranked up to 11 for no reason other than a couple of dice in a couple of places just went sideways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, especially with the fact, uh, is this 
No, that was the last one. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, the, on the last mission, the whole thing about uh, if both players are tied on victory points, the players roll off and the winner can choose to collapse one objective. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of that, like that notion on the prior mission I forgot to mention. Yeah, oh, so this is one of the two bubble ones in my mind that might be mm-hmm. generous, but I definitely get the perspective. I haven't played this one yet either. I can very much see why you guys are saying what you're saying and yeah, yeah. why you're not a fan of this one. In my mind, these two are ones that are squarely out. You know, yeah. Oh, even the last one? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. run Nexus Collapse without it being, you know, as, as some people will give you a list of the event missions that they're planning on running. Right. And, you know, they're going to pick five of these seven or whatever. Right. I wouldn't consider running that one without that, hey, like, fair it's warning, this is on the list, right? You know, with Adepticon, I tell everyone that, hey, all 12 are fair game. Do with that <laughs> what you will. But, you know, for a cutdown, right, it's eight games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. Play your eight. Out of these 12, where you right. know that I hate at least five of them. <laughs> to make it easier for you to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely more there on lines of communication. Like I said, I want to try it, but I see the crit- criticisms. Uh, but Nexus Collapse, I've got more hope for that one, personally. Yeah. That could be uh, one that can make regular rotation. So, yeah, okay. we'll see. Okay, let's go to the next one, which is Every Step is Forward. Why don't you talk to us about this one? We have the special rule called give no grounds. If a unit makes a charge move until the end of that turn, add one to the number of models that each model in that unit counts as for purpose of contesting objectives. If a unit retreats until the end of that turn, models in that unit cannot contest objectives. Scoring is standard. And then we have a pretty interesting deployment <laughs> now it's going to be nine inches off everywhere yeah. uh, but i really like this deployment you know it, it you are playing potentially all over the board yeah you've uh, got, you've got an oklahoma lots... panhandle situation going on. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, this is one of those deployments that can give some advantage or value to being higher drop so i always appreciate those missions that have some advantage in that regard as far as capacity to counter deploy what your opponent is doing mm-hmm. uh, now with that said i mean these objectives you know obviously are in two different areas of the battlefield but they're very two of them are they're very close to each other is what i'm getting at with four objectives i like this one i could see there's some could be some concern about the cannot contest objectives if you retreat but it's a common tactic in this game for people to be in combat right and then they just retreat and they can still contest an objective and they get some advantage for that. So I like that it's changing that dynamic up a little bit. I think that's interesting. Dan, what do you think about this one? I like this. Uh, I like that, again, it's a choice. Just changes the dynamic of objective holding and model counts a little bit. And I like Mm -hmm. that as an interest. You know, if a unit retreats until the end of that turn, it can't contest objectives. I mean, that applies to units that can retreat and charge, too. So I think that's interesting that they are affected by this. I don't have a problem with that. That night haunt scourge must be dealt with. (laughs) Right? We talked about this on Wednesday. The obvious asterisk on this mission is night haunt. Yes. Sorry, guys. No, but you know what? Again, I think it's interesting. And I think you have to really consider what you're doing and what you're charging in. You know, you charge a unit of five somethings and all of a sudden they count as ten. And your opponent has a unit of five on something. Yeah, yeah, great. Man, that's awesome for me. And also I say that... Now, this is my experience, is that I don't see people retreating a whole lot in this game unless they have a retreat and charge rule. But otherwise, Mm. you don't see that very often. You do see it Mm. because there are tactical situations where it makes Mm. sense. But otherwise, yeah, so I'm fine with this. I do like the spread 
the way it looks. And I don't mind that there's no no man's land here. You know, my whole thing about overgrown because there's a lot of places to put stuff depending on where the terrain is on the board Mm, Um, because you've got those panhandles sticking out. So there's still a pretty wide variety of places to uh, place terrain and that kind of thing. So Brendan, what do you think? Yeah. Like mission overall, you know, feel bad for our night haunt friends. That's not great. I almost wish that there was a disclaimer in that retreat. If you end within combat, then you just count as your normal, whatever you count. That would be a good, right? So I think that would be the give and take mm. to this one. We shouldn't be incentivizing the backup three inches. I have 40 zombies on this objective and you don't. I think we should de-incentivize that as much as possible. I think an army like Night Haunt and some of the other niche instances where you know you have access to retreat and charge units that aren't necessarily army-wide like Night Haunt is, that shouldn't necessarily be penalized, right? We talked about for so long not liking the missions where you can't teleport. We've talked about the missions for so long, mm-hmm. we don't like where you can deep strike. And in reality, the number of things that those have affected have been impossibly low, and this is the same thing. So my expectation is that people would have the same opinion of it, but that doesn't seem to be the case, you know, in some of the larger perspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is as egregious as some of those other ones, but no, this, is, well, this is still penalizing a mechanic that an army pays for. Right. And the other piece of that is like, it's not as egregious because you know what? You can just not retreat. Now there's a disadvantage to your army for not retreating and charging. Well, you can not teleport things. Right. You can but, right. choose to not put right. something in right. reserve. I think overall it's a fine mission. Five, though, limited resources. This is a mission I really like. I think this requires a lot of good decision-making on the parts of Mm -hmm. both players. This is player territories divided right down the middle, nine inches off the center line. You have a larger hexagon. We've gone for more creative shapes this time around. (laughs) It's kind of staggered. Wait until we get to some other ones. They basically make a circle. It's neat. Scoring is standard. The thing that is different in this mission is a rule called Siphon Meltwater. When a player gains control of an objective, they start to siphon meltwater from it. After scoring victory points, if the player whose turn it is controls an objective that they controlled at the end of their previous turn, so you have to hold it for two of your turns in a row, they have siphoned all the meltwater from that objective. For the rest of the battle, that player cannot control that objective. (laughs) So you can bounce around repeatedly, collect all of them, not have to worry about this, but you are heavily penalized for parking on the same objectives basically the whole game and i think that is really cool there's some bookkeeping here right you know what Mm -hmm. objectives are turned off and for whom but otherwise i think this one's pretty neat what do you think i agree yeah it's one of my favorites of the season i've played it twice and (laughs) had a hell of a game yesterday against a great Giants player, uh, Walker, he's one of our great Missouri players, and it was a one-point game. Giants, they can struggle with battle tactics. I got fortunate that he dropped a battle tactic. You know, I don't know, you may think that Suns might struggle on this. Like I said, he's a great player. Things were so tight in those rounds four and five on the objectives, right? Because Mm. it's just, if you're dealing with small margins, and so there's so many levels of big brain that you can get to with this mission. And, yeah, I think it's going to be very popular. But uh, get out your tokens. You're going to have to track things. Yeah. It's yeah. not too bad. Yeah, you talked about <laughs> the paperwork. Yep. Yeah, again, I like it. It's a unique mechanic, and it also forces decisions. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, wow, 
I need to move away from an objective for this to work for me. Like, what kind of craziness is that? I mean, that's just such a unique <laughs> right, right. idea that somebody has to make that choice. Like, whoa, yeah. And of course, moving away, you know, the core rules would still apply that, yeah, you can move away from an objective, but if there's no enemy models there, you're still going to control it, right? Right. Yep. Because even if you move away from an objective, you still yep. control it unless there's no need that can, can right. contest it. So yeah. one you know, tactical thought on this one is potentially there could be some games where you are not focusing on scoring. So let's say, Dan, you're the defender, right? Mm-hmm. And you are not focusing on scoring your own, or maybe you're giving up one of your own early, and you're focusing on the middle. And you focus early mm. on the middle, but then that frees you up to come back to your territory to score your territory once later if your opponent doesn't have maybe a way to really threaten you significantly. So it definitely does potentially change the nature of how games tend to play out. And I cool. just think about deployment. I mean, you got these two objectives in your territory. Yeah. You How do you place your army this so that you don't drain those things right away yeah Yeah, it's just like wow how how do you get a big army with lots of models so it's not within six inches of any of those four that's just fascinating when you think about that i do like that on that point there's one maybe little subtle detail to clock so let's say you dan or defender you deploy within six of both of your objectives buried in your territory Mm -hmm. right okay so at the start of the game you're going to take control of them right yes Start of the game. Okay. Well, let's say your opponent goes first. Okay. They have their turn. You are still okay. The clock has not yet started because that key is at the end of their previous turn, right? Mm-hmm. So even though you are controlling them top of round one when it's your opponent's turn, you've obviously not had a previous turn yet. I had missed that initially, their previous turn. That- so it's a little detail. Well, after reading the rules carefully, which is always a good idea. Typically yeah, important. Makes perfect <laughs> sense. A lot of neat choices that have to be made and always a good thing. All right, spring the trap. What are we thinking here, guys? This mission is going to look real familiar. This is three objectives. This is just like the one where you had that kind of narrow deployment at the halfway mm-hmm. mark where you had two objectives all the way on the corner from last handbook. They're now seven and a half inches in mm-hmm. from the edge and they stay there. Standard scoring, the difference is you pick up a rule called outflank, so during deployment, after both players have set up their units, starting with the attacker, each player can remove D3 units from the battlefield, roll once for both players, and place those units in reserve, starting from the second battle round. At the end of your movement phase, you can set up those units you place in reserve, wholly within six inches of the battlefield, and run nine inches from all enemy units. Both players are getting the same number of units that are getting removed. Both players have effectively the same opportunity to make that choice at the same time. This is less painful than the last one was, where the objectives were all the way at the side, Mm -hmm. and some armies couldn't play that as well. But I think this is a perfectly fine mission. What do you think, Tyler? Yep, I love this one. They are going to have to fact this one. So some others have pointed out that starting with the attacker, each player can remove D3 units from the battlefields. There's a key thing that's missing there, which is that right now, Dan, I could just decide to remove your Warsong Revenant yes. and maybe your Spirit of Dirthu right. from the battlefields, yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's going to get fixed in the upcoming fact. But with mm-hmm. overall, I think it's a fantastic mission. So if we insert the word friendly it would be okay yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. makes perfect sense or they yeah, meant yeah. it this way and <laughs> well, that would just be insanity and it's mischief and mayhem all around oh, that, that would yeah. just be 
stupid. All right, we'll see. I'm sure they will. Okay, then moving on to Fountains of Frost. What do you got here? Let's see, six objectives. Obviously, a big fan of that. This is a classic layout here. We've got uh, 22 inches of no man land. Which no man's land. I'm loving. <laughs> That's yeah, 100%. Good. <laughs> yeah, this is your kind of mission. The objective spread and everything. Our special rule is geysers of primal magic. And Torian Locust units count as 10 models for the purpose of contesting objectives. At the start of each battle shock phase, roll the dice for each objective that is contested by three or more units. On a four plus, each unit contesting that objective suffers D3 mortal wounds. Roll separately for each unit. And then we've got standard scoring. Yeah, Dan, what do you think about this one? I, it's fine. I, again, I like the wide open spaces. That's always a good thing. It's not like terrible. First mm. of all, it's on a four up. Yeah. Okay, so you only get a 50-50 chance of this happening. If I'm playing this game normally, I would be just like, I'm just going to play it like any other game. I'm not going to worry about whether I'm close or not or whether I'm contesting mm. or not. I'm not going to worry about that little special rule. I just don't see it having that big an effect on a lot of armies. So, yeah. Totally fine mission. Very reasonable. You are incentivized for running the heroes that they want you to run yeah if you, it's not too crazy though this mm. isn't the you know places of magical power you know the <laughs> yeah you get a benefit for it if you're choosing not to take it that's your own decision you receive a benefit for doing it and the condition isn't just a four up it's when it's three or more units right right yeah. so you can very easily control whether or not that happens right yep in my mind it's still a soft incentive for pushing against castles like again playing this mm. Bandit's Hammerhand, Knight Encantor, Lord Castellant, Ten Vindictors, I have to screen, right? Like, my army, I'm finding what I've been running, has to play early game as a castle, and then I've got these Deep Strikers, right? Well, I like the idea that I'm potentially going to have to do something a little different at times, where things may have to be more out of position than they would have had mm. to been normally, right? If I want to avoid the potential of the, the mortal wounds, which in some games I may want to because my opponent might be able to drop spells or drop AOE damage or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So I don't want you know the, the risk of additional D3 mortal wounds on little heroes. So I like that as a soft incentive. I mean, like Brendan's point, mm-hmm. you can play around it in some instances, but yeah, good mission. Then we get the ice fields. Oh, the ice mm-hmm. fields. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so if we could just have <laughs> yeah. recorded those reactions just now, I think we get the idea on this one. Uh, yeah. So you're playing long ways. We'll start yep. it with that. <laughs> Tournament orders love playing long ways oh, missions. Oh. It's their favorite. The objectives are set up in a hexagon. A real hexagon. Yeah, yeah. a real hexagon. Almost looks like a circle of sorts. Right? Yeah. You know, the, I think the objective layout is pretty neat. Like, we've never seen that before. No. I'm a fan of that. Yeah, agreed, right? You know, cool. I like playing long ways missions as well. Yeah. But, you know, depending on the hall, sometimes that can be tough. Right. Standard scoring. The rule here is each time a unit runs, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. And when you make a charge roll, for each dice that shows a 1 before modifiers are applied, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. (laughs) I hate this. You've got... It's a Holy Wars table. It's just stupid because, again... How long ago, Brendan, did you teach me about bubbles, right? And how important bubbles were. And in a Nighthorn army, you got to run all your heroes to keep up with right. your guides. You just right. have to, right? You have no yeah. choice. And so, but other armies too. I mean, you got little heroes that you have to run to keep that bubble moving with the unit you want to cover with the bubble. Yeah. Well, now, what am I going to take? D3? Yeah, absolutely, buddy. You're going <laughs> to take D3 mortals every time you run. Right. It's like, no, that's just stupid. The only way you can make this worse is if it included units that had the fly keyword. 
Oh, sure. Uh, (laughs) Then you would see people really losing their minds. So I don't love this mission, but I do like the idea that it's forcing the game to be played a little bit slower, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You are hypothetically, right, paying for your movement profile in whatever it is that you have. Mm -hmm. So the fast armies here have an advantage, and the slow ones are really at disadvantage here. You know, so there's a patient march across the board, but all of that bookkeeping, the fact that it's automatic, right? right. It's, you know, right. <laughs> it's not on run rolls of one, right? You know, the you take D3 mortal wounds because, right, they're trying to minimize an extra dice roll, right? You know, the, mm. you know, if you run on a two up, you take D3 mortal wounds, right? They're trying to get rid of mm. that two up. Fine. And they nail it in the second half of this, mm. which is charge rolls for each one is D3 mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fine. You're not rolling any more dice than what you are in this set of conditions. Like, why? Again, this is Dan saying it is what it is. If I see it, I got to deal with it. Yeah. And I just will. <laughs> so This impacts you the least of either of the other yeah. two of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Again, that's another one of those where I get criticism. In the end of the day, it probably would pass over my very, very, very low bar for these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where if I'm yeah. playing it, yeah, it's fine. I don't know, for whatever reason, my, like, Battle Lines Drawn comes to my mind, where Battle Lines Drawn dramatically changed how we were playing AOS games. Mm-hmm. That was the one where you had quarters of the battlefield, and originally, right, you could not teleport. You could deep strike, you could have reserves and then come on, but you could not teleport during the game. And I got why people hated that. And at the same time, I had amazing, always had amazing games on Battle Lines Drawn. I really enjoy when we change, as Brendan said, we have to play differently with a game of AOS. I like that on average. I can see they've gone too far. Like we've had a number of instances where we're talking about doing things differently, different dynamic, different situation that are coming up. But there's, I guess there's like a Goldilocks zone. You know, the majority is saying we need to stay in, and well, this one is outside well of that said. zone. Of the ones I don't like, I dislike this one the least, with the exception of rolling ones on your charge rolls. <laughs> sure. Um, it's a mechanic that you can play around. You know, right. You, you can choose to not run. Don't run. That is a choice. You know, if you see double ones, chances are you're rolling that charge roll anyways. And also, I mean, obviously with the objective layout here, uh, so you're fairly close to at least, you know, the four core objectives there in the middle, right? right? Those are all pretty close together. So even slower armies have a fair amount of optionality and where they're playing on the board. Let's move on to power flux then. So diamonds, the one in your territory and the one in your opponent's territory are labeled A, and then the two on the center line are labeled B. Scoring is a little less than standard. Point if you control at least one. One point if you control both activated objectives. And we'll get to activated in just a second. One victory point for each activated objective that you control, contested by a friendly Albundi that has no uh, enemy locust contesting it. There's two points there. So we're at our standard five, right? <laughs> you score one victory point if any enemy wizards were destroyed in that battle round. One point there, one point for one, one point for both, and then potentially another two points there for each objective being controlled by a locus, and then two points for your mm-hmm. battle tactic. So sure. there's seven available every single turn. This one, however, probably won't run away from you because in this battle, players can only score victory points for objectives they control if the objective has been activated. At the start of each battle round, after determining which player will take the first turn, the player taking the second turn must choose which of the pair of Here objectives, we go. I love that. either A or B, are activated for that battle round. <laughs> or controlling both for A is going to be difficult, right? It's the one in your mm-hmm. territory and the one in your opponent's. But the Bs are on the center line, so those are the ones that are going to be most contested. And you have the ability to really 
flip things on your opponents if they've abandoned that back objective for right. whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> and on the flip side of that, the player going second is the one that determines it. So the player going first has a chance to react to where those control points are. Yeah. yeah. Again, in my opinion, is that whole thing of having to choose whether you want to go first and second is impacted by this. And I really enjoy that every time. Yeah, I think it's a pretty solid mission. It has a number of different kind of cross incentives going on. I mean, if you're a castle shooting army, potentially you can continue to go second, uh, where you're you're more looking to kill early and then score late, win late. You'll often see a lot of Lumineth armies that with Tekla Sentinels, they play in that style. They whittle you down late, then they score primary, etc., to to close the game out. Whittle you down early and then score late. But then you also, you know, this B&B in the middle, if you've got multiple wizards, maybe you want to try to you know, control two to get two points, right? Put a Andy on an Antorian on each of the Bs. That's interesting. So the number of these different variables going on, yeah, I think this makes for a pretty cool mission. One of the asterisks on this one is, though, mm. I don't have any wizards. Mm. Ooh, okay. That really impacts my scoring pretty significant or can impact my scoring pretty significantly yeah uh, so that's just something to think about blow your opponent off those objectives then. yeah right that's your choice yeah. right that's what you need to do yeah each you control yeah that'd be worth thinking about that i mean uh, like first i was come to mind a sense of bad map, but suns are going to be very good on primary objective scoring with the bees right. in the middle yep. to where you're not going to control those objectives with mm-hmm. uh, your entering locus in the first place you're not going to be getting those points right. right like and then a lot of armies are well certainly some maybe a lot of armies with those nine wounds or less wizards are going to be exposing them more potentially than they would like mm. to be if they're having them in the middle of the board on objectives right you're going so you're having to potentially play them a little more aggressively than you want sure. to so you have to worry about yeah. so like there's all of these different variables that are going on that i think makes it intriguing all right, Frigid Zephyr. Wow. This is one that I really want your opinion on, Tyler. So. I mean, unfortunately, it's a hard pass because, yeah, it's yeah. just, I think it does bork. I mean, I'm not a fan of intense shooting or skewed shooting, but I'm just not a fan of skewed anything. Forget the shooting part of it, right? So let, I'll read the rules for all this. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. it's not just shooting. So yeah. th- it's quadrants. It's three objectives, diagonal, opposite those quadrants. The other two quadrants are no man's land, nine inches apart, right? So you have that center where you can't deploy. Standard scoring, and the rule here is ferocious squall. At the start of the battle, the battlefield is affected by a squall, keyworded for some reason. (laughs) Until the squall, (laughs) not keyworded, dissipates, units more than 12 inches apart are not visible to each other. Yeah. Period. Period, yeah. So it's not just shooting, yeah. Yeah. Spells, etc. Endless spells. Commands. Commands. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, in addition, until the squall dissipates, models cannot fly. Right. <laughs> At the start of each battle round, after the first, after determining which player will take the first turn, if the squall is not dissipated, the player taking the second turn rolls a dice and adds the current number of the battle round to the score. On a seven up, the squall dissipates. Yeah, so by round three, you still have to have a four up. Yeah. By round three. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah. To not yeah. be able to play with your army, essentially, for yeah. some people, right? Yeah. Oh, again, Night Haunt. Yeah, the entire army flies. Nope, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, this is not going to. Uh, yeah, this this one's a hard no. This one is way yeah. too far off the rails, man. It, I had a fine game against Zinch. Uh, my shooting has been impacted. Zinch's spellcasting has been. It was fine, but. It's just, yeah, you're not going to do this at a tournament. 
There's not a lot to say. Or about if you do, one. you won't be running tournaments very long, probably. So <laughs> right, Brandon is going to do an Ironman's tournament. He's he already talked to me. Uh, everybody, hold him to it. I remember this conversation. I'm sure it happens. He's going to do an Ironman's tournament soon. He's going to run Frigid Zephyr. He's going to run the Ice Fields. He's going to end it. The last mission we're going to talk the about. The five he hates. Yeah. And it's going to be the greatest tournament. I'll one up you. I will dig deep for all of the worst missions across all of the handbooks. <laughs> the anti-war coda. Yeah. Uh, Me and Doug are going to put it together as the anti-Tyler, yep. anti-competitive handbook for people to use for missions in which you can get angry, not at your opponent, but the situation. Uh, I would go to that event. Put me down for a ticket when you run it. Maybe that's what I'll end up turning into, is guy who runs just the hands-down weirdest events. Every Adepticon, I'll run a bunch of one-dayers where it's just weird stuff that makes no sense, and everyone goes, (laughs) well, there's nothing quite like it. Look, I mean, apparently a lot of people out there already think that's who you are, so just lean into it, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sell out, sell out, sell out. Wow, they're all sold tickets for every one of them. There's no Everyone wants to play Relocation Orb three times. It's weird. (laughs) Okay. It's a four-person event. (laughs) No reward without risk is the next one. So I like this one. This one's also quadrants, but the objectives are a cross with one in the middle, touching the quadrants, standard scoring, and the special rule here is feedback overload. When a wizard is slain before removing that model from play, roll a dice. On a four-up, the wizard explodes as their magical energies are released uncontrollably. Each unit within a number of inches equal to the wounds characteristic of that wizard. That's so silly. <laughs> Suffers D3 mortal wounds. Right, Archeon blows up 20-inch mortal wound. That's so nuke. cool. 25. 25, that's what he's now. Suffers yeah. D3 mortal wounds rolled separately for each unit. I think a lot of people are going to forget this. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. As a mechanic for the game... It's probably not going to swing most games, but there's going to be times when it blows up and, oh my god, like he hit the four up, he had to roll a five or a six on the D3, I was 16 inches away, and like, unfortunately, I just happened to kill his big stupid wizard. Um, Right. And yeah. it's off this chain reaction. And but like it's gonna be one of those crazy memorable games and you just go Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's not much I can do about that. Yeah. Yeah, to me this is AOS. Like that competitive and zany balance of AOS yes. that, that I love. That yeah. this is that mission. But it's not it's egregious. Amazing. It's not something not that disadvantages anybody, whatever else. It's just fun. Yeah. yeah. When it dies, it's a 50% chance for everything to take D3 mortal wounds. Awesome. Right. (laughs) Okay. Like I said, most of your games, it's not going to matter probably. But we should qualify that they presumably are going to fact this to where they'll add the more than nine from enemy territory that's currently missing. Mm. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. we're going to be on top of each other. Yeah. In deployment? Yeah. Uh, it's not but in. Yeah. But why? (laughs) We can start in combat. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. I mean, they wrote the Seraphon book that way. (laughs) True. (laughs) Uh, But I played this one yesterday. Solid mission. Yeah. I mean, there's actually still a fair amount of board play, right? Because of the five objectives, north, south, east, west, and then obviously the one in the middle. You know, you can do things like deep strike or ambush or whatever, and then just tiptoe within six inches of like a west or east objective. And you're still potentially playing on a fair amount of the board. It's not like it's just a scrum in the middle. This is going to be go tricks heaven here, this mission. (laughs) So great. I think if you rotated the objectives about 45 degrees, that might have been the better layout for for that one. but. That's just being nitpicking because otherwise you're just cutting the shorts on the circle and coming across and and there really is just going to be a 15-inch radius circle where everything happens. Yeah. Yeah. Last mission. Yep. Wow. Towers in the tundra. Yep. Yep. Not excited for this one, especially (laughs) because it includes 
requirements for how you set up the battlefield. Really hate those as a TO. Nope. This one starts with two objectives. This is deceiving. Don't believe them. (laughs) Because to set up the battlefield, you need at least one piece of defensible terrain that is neither large nor very large, which I'm sure everyone knows by heart, wholly within each territory and more than nine inches from enemy territory. That's good. If you do not have any defensible terrain, the defender must pick two terrain features that are neither large nor very large. Again, I'm sure all of you remember what that means, to be treated as defensible in this battle plan. Because they don't define it here. Well, defensible is defined in the No, I'm rules. talking about the size, large That's or very yeah. large. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, everybody adheres to those very strictly at all tournaments. Deployments, right? Territories as normal, right? It's divided right in the middle. You have two objectives that are right in the middle that are 15 inches from the end. The other territory is the defender's territory. Each player chooses one defensible terrain feature or a faction terrain feature wholly within their territory to represent a wizard's tower. Keyword. Mm. We will never address this again. It's like playing D and D. Wizards Tower have the arcane scenery rule, in addition to any other scenery rules that they have. Uh, right, Lumineth. The players then use alternating deployment. Fine. Nine inches away from each other. Fine. Score one if you control one. Score one if you control both. Score two for your battle tactic. And each player scores victory points at the end of the battle as follows. There's only four points eligible every battle round. Except, score two victory points if a friendly units are garrisoning the wizard's tower in your army. If your starting army did not include any units that could garrison the terrain feature, score two victory points if you control the wizard's tower in your territory instead. That's fine, I like that. Score two victory points if there are no units garrisoning the wizard's tower in enemy territory. It's like capture the flag. It's just bizarre. It's just really. I don't know why you wouldn't include the caveat for the enemy one that you did for controlling yours, because if you don't have something where you can garrison it, your opponent automatically gets those two points at the end of the battle for that, mm. which seems a little silly. In Warhammer Fantasy Battle, there used to be a call the mission called the Watchtower, where there's a uh. big piece of defensible terrain in the middle of the battlefield, and you fought on control over it. And it was the worst mission in the world. <laughs> it was terrible. Color me a bit skeptical when I see basically that mission again. So it should be said that they did fact this this week or last week as it were. Good. So that last bit, Brendan, that you read mm-hmm. with uh, each of the two victory point conditions, so they changed that. And now it says, in addition, each player scores victory points at the end of the battle as follows. If you control, uh, this is the short version, if you control the wizard's tower in your territory, two victory points. If no enemy units contesting the wizard's tower in enemy territory, two victory points. If cool. no enemy units contesting the wizard's tower. So a lot simpler they took out the garrison because that was broken the way that it was worded. Won't bother going into it, but yeah. So it's better cleanup, but it's still a very rough mission. It really hits the perfect trifecta of things that I don't want to see. I don't want to manage this as a tournament organizer, meaning <laughs> that I have to have all the special things. I have to explain this to the players because there will be a 10% of the group that understands exactly how this works and they're going to be prepared for it because I told them that they were going to play all 12 missions and they're going to know all of it. Right. 80% of the players are going to have heard of this mission before, but they don't really know what's going on and I'll explain it to them. And 40% of, you know, numerically, so 50% of that 80%, half, are going to understood the directions that I gave them. The other (laughs) half are not. And the final 10%, that no matter how much I explain it to them, are going to completely ignore the direction and do something else. 
From a player's perspective, this is one of those ones where you're going to get a real mismatched understanding of how Mm. all of this works. Mm -hmm. And you're going to end up in a pretty not great situation Mm. in terms of that. If they had just left it as an objective in your territory versus theirs, you gave it arcane while you have heroes within three inches of it, and you changed the scoring mechanic to if you control it at the end too, Mm. fine. This is almost a totally fine mission. Get the Mm -hmm. piece of terrain off of this, make it an objective, give it three inches arcane, you're done. Yeah, that's it. It's fixed. You're playing for the long version of the mission, that's fine, right? You know, there's only four points you can score every turn, and there's special stuff at the end for a win more. Fine. Mm. Do it. Great. Get the terrain requirements off of this map. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I like that change. Thank you. Okay. That's That's it. it. Yeah. Spells. Yeah, endless spells. We're not going to talk about all of them. No, no, no. It's going to take forever. (laughs) Tyler, are there any changes in particular that you want to point out, positive or negative or... So my store did not is getting their books Monday, so I actually don't have the book in front of me. Okay. Just going off of memory, Geminids is going to be everywhere until it gets a point increase. It needs a point increase, so they... Yep, needs to go up to at least 80. Yep. uh, Probably at least 80. They did not adjust many of these endless spells to reflect the new reality, particularly for some of them. So a number of these endless spells got changes, as you said. So yeah, uh, Geminids, what it does now, is, if I remember correctly, uh, let me know if this is wrong, is basically you can run over multiple units with the, the Geminids. Yep. It, it has two. And each one that you run over, does it have the finish within an inch or do you have to run over them? Yep. An inch and then finish within an inch, on yeah. a two the, up. On a two up. You turn off commands until the next hero phase. Just turn off commands, <laughs> period. That is obviously insanely powerful, insanely good. And it's only 50 points. You know, like it's our, crazy. Yeah, that's our original recipe, Purple Sun, that needed to get a pointing this uh, was effect. Like, this was like original Geminids. <laughs> original like, Geminids, right. Yeah. <laughs> when it was 80 points, everyone's like, right. that's pretty good. Now, the difference is the setup requirements are quite a bit closer, because before it was like setup at 8, move 18, and you just went, <laughs> yeah. and you touched everything, and... Now it's 8 and 8, which is a little more reasonable than that. Yeah. A little more reasonable, yeah. but yeah. you still have hero phase teleporting with a number of armies. You've oh, got yeah. ways of extending range on endless spells from some armies. Yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so that one, I think Pendulum, I'm really glad that they went back to D6 Mortal Wounds on yep. Pendulum. They bumped it up to 40 points. Yep. And it's yeah. back and forth now. It's not just four. And it's... You can move it both ways, pendulum. which is really cool. I mean, it should have always been that way, but... It is a pendulum, so... I like the change they made to the burning head. I think it's so cool. Mm. It's like a magnetic mine that you put on a unit, and it just follows it around until they get rid of it. Yeah. It's just annoying. And it's only D3, but if you get to the point where you could put it on a wizard, that would just be hilarious on a small wizard. Mm. Put it on an Al Bundy, and he's like, oh, God, I gotta waste a a cast to get rid of this darn thing. I like that change rather than it just exploding. It makes it a little more useful. You know, if nothing else. So I like All right. That. I'm going to tell on myself, Dan. My brain, like, if it's it's going to click in sooner or later. I've not Googled it. What or who in the hell is Al Bundy? It finally clicked in my head. I, I'm telling on myself. I'm a child of the 90s. That's okay. Then you should it, know it this. Took this long. I there, should know who There was that a show was. That is, about a shoe oh, salesman. Ahead. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he had a crazy family, and he was crazy, and was yep. called Married with Children. Yeah, yep. that is who Al is, yes. So, it was a funny show Yes, this time. That is embarrassing that it took me that long for that to no, click. No, right. They changed Laoshan, didn't they, a little bit? I thought yeah. there was some change to him that... It's now only for heroes with a wound characteristic. Heroes? Wizards? Wizards, Wizards. yeah. 
Wizards. Less, Wizards yeah. with one characteristic of nine or less. Yeah. So the main thing, of course, is Thankwell loses his skateboard, which he should have never had yes. in the first place. That was ridiculous. Yeah, and then <laughs> Sorry, uh, it was Soul Scream, they shrunk the distance, I think, from 24 to 18 for the two pieces. Well, the, the know, huge change is the second paragraph. There's a couple changes to it, which, yeah. Yeah, yeah the second paragraph. Right, so... It. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, so casting value six, fine, range of 18, Set up one part of the spell within one inch of the caster, which is... That's different. Yep. That's, that's a change. That's a big yes. deal. Yep. And the other part, wholly within range of the caster, because before you could just pitch both of them in opposite directions. Yes. Exactly. It was nuts, yeah. <laughs> then at the start of the movement phase, you can remove one friendly unit, wholly within six, and part of the endless spell set up again, wholly within six and more than nine from all enemy units. That's right. the same. A unit cannot be removed and set up again in this way more than once per phase, which... Wasn't really the problem. A unit removed and set up again in this way cannot make a normal move or run in the same phase and cannot issue or receive commands until the start of that player's next hero phase. Can't teleport yeah. thunders and unleash hell. Yeah. Right. We have that. That's Self-hating Gravetide got... I can't remember if it was wholly within six previously. It was very difficult. That thing, I played it over the weekend just to try it out for the first time. It has a big old base. It is challenging. Very large. And has been yeah. challenging to set up, yeah. It may be wholly within six. It's not wholly within eight. Maybe been previously, I can't remember. But now it's got an extended predatory. I think it's extended predatory where it's a total of 20 inches. So that's pretty generous. Yeah. Eight and yeah. 12. And now it's each enemy unit that you roll over. You roll the dice per model on a five-up mortal wound. So, you know... That's situational, right? Soul Blight or name, you know, Skaven with maybe a lot of bodies, name a lot of bodies, army. That can be interesting, but it's very matchup dependent. I played three games and it never was that relevant because the biggest units were 10 models in all of my games. So, but yeah, potentially a really good spell. Shackles reduces movement by D6 inches. And if you hit zero, you take D3 mortal wounds. Now it's only for that movement phase, so... Do you like the change of shackles? I don't know if I do. I kind of like how before, it was. Because before it was having, which was easier. Mm-hmm. Didn't it shut off run and charge if you were within six? You couldn't charge within range of it, and what it was was you paired yeah. it with old zombies where you'd take the six-inch pile and, and mess somebody up. Yeah. I think this is interesting. It really penalizes the slow-moving stuff, and mm. it penalizes the faster stuff less, which... I guess makes sense to a certain degree, right? You're able to, yeah. like, lore-wise escape mm. from yeah. the shackles that are grabbing at you. Right. But, you know, like, it still has the opportunity to make it not great. Yeah. Um, but, but like, your slow stuff is... You really don't want your slow stuff near it. So you have that. And then, Dan, why don't you tell us about the change that you're very unhappy about? What? Where? What? Whoa. What? what Cogs? Oh geez, yeah, it's fine. I've got rerolls otherwise, so which is why well, now which is do. why I changed but, my but my season. Why did you want cogs before? Dan? Because yeah, I could reroll uh, casting rolls, and now it's just whatever. It's, okay, it does something, but it does not allow me to have a reroll, and that was rerolls for every casting attempt within a mm. certain range. That's pretty powerful, and so yeah, not happy about that, but. You know what? Moving on. So the speed up and the slowdown changed for both of them. Yeah. And I'm a little surprised yeah, yeah. that they changed the reroll part of it because this is the perfect addition where you're forcing a decision oh, that's to be a good made point. at the reroll for a cast. Now, you're talking about the primal dice. Exactly. You're talking right. about your ability to use primal yep. dice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. So if you're decreasing the flow of time, you can either attempt to cast Arcane Bolt or Mystic Shield in your hero phase with a friendly wizard wholly within six inches of the spell without counting towards the number of spells that wizard can attempt 
in that phase. Okay. In addition, subtract one from hit rolls for shooting attacks to target wizard heroes while they are wholly within six inches of any end of the spell with this ability. It's a bummer that Nagash no longer has Arcane Bolt Machine Gun. Um, (laughs) Because he could stand next to Cogs with decreased time, cast infinity Arcane Bolts, (laughs) and then jump away. Yes. yeah, unintended yeah. consequences. My yeah. favorite. Yeah, <laughs> so. and if you're increasing, you can reroll charge rolls for friendly units while they're wholly within twelve of cogs. So, yeah, okay, whatever. For my money, this—I uh, mean, I, it could be off, but recollection says this is the best design set of endless spells we've ever gotten. They have meaningfully bumped the relevance on many of these, including like many that you would never see. Prismatic Palisade is more interesting now. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of them that are notable now to at least give some pause to think about them in a list, you know, different list types. So pretty positive overall. If any of these are out of bounds in terms of getting too much play, they can get a point increase. One in particular that we've already talked about is going to have to get a point increase. But yeah, pretty good set, I think. I would largely agree with that. They address the ones that have been most problematic over the last 12 months, either by points mm-hmm. or rules changes, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. know, Purple Sun basically got 90 pointed into Oblivion, and obviously the, the other changes passed it. But the other ones that we were seeing some problems with, you know, got some other points where maybe makes them a little less palatable. They're also a lot easier to deal with now mm-hmm. with the advent of Primal Dice, where you can use it for right. the Dispel roll if mm-hmm. you so choose. Right. Because there have been times where you get your endless spells on the battlefield and your opponent can't do a thing about it, and then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah. addressing the bridge the way that they did, you know, corrects the spell and the, pro- the bottle problem that you had for KO. Mm-hmm. They can still use it, but at meaningful penalty. Um, I agree. I think these are good. Yeah, there's a few people. I've heard people expressing the view that they don't think we're going to see that many endless spells on the table because of the anti-magic. This I don't. I, I, I doubt that that's right. I don't agree I, you with know, that. I think it, it's still going to be a nice mix. You're, you're going to see them decently. There's so many of them that have real benefits. They can pop out, right? And you, you push them out, and then they have that turn to do their thing, and then they get dispelled. That's okay. They've already done their thing. There are enough of them that have meaningful benefit in just that one, regardless of whether they get dispelled or not. So mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. nice place to be in, I think, with this stuff. Yeah. And then there is the whole issue of, you know, there's a lot of book specific endless spells and you get to see those on the table in addition to these that have been fixed or whatever. And so I think you're going to see just as many. Yeah. I think you're Mm going to see a lot more dispelled, too, which is good. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Again, it's that thing for me that people feel like they can do something about something and you feel like you're participating in the game. You're not just standing there. And that's so, so helpful for the game overall. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent with that. Let's do some closing thoughts then on this handbook and move on to stuff the rest of the show afterwards. So, Tyler, what's your take on Pitch Battles 2023-2024 General's Handbook, Image, Source, Gaunt Summoner, Without Disc? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I'm pretty positive overall right now. So on the show Wednesday, I said seven and a half. I might bump that up to an eight at the moment. But yeah, I'm pretty positive overall with this one, especially compared to some of the prior ones. I think there's a legitimate critique on the overall design choices. You know, that is the idea of we're going to have these seasons and each season is going to, here's the battle line season. Here's the, you know, small hero season. Here's the wizard season. That's a different conversation in my mind. 
but yeah, I think yeah, that's it's really a conversation solid. we had about two and a half years ago. So <laughs> right. everyone go listen to that episode from the summer of 2021, yes. where we discussed mm, the, yep. mm, I don't know if we should be focusing on monsters or, oh, this is cool. I can't right. remember what we said, but I'm sure we were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was. Yeah. Brendan, what about you? I'll probably join Tyler in the largely positive take on this. I'll start at a seven here. I don't see anything that's inherent to the handbook that is out of bounds or silly a la bounty hunters or in the last season the tactics themselves Mm -hmm. i'm a little more frustrated with the missions than anything else i think some of those are more along the lines of you know i have come to accept that people are upset about you know things that remove things that you've paid for in your army I don't know why we insist on including those mechanics in those missions for like the competitive setting, which is really frustrating because this is a 12-month handbook. Yes. And if we're stuck with seven missions that I think people are going to play for 12 months, that really sucks. You know, maybe we'll get a new mission or two in a battle scroll at some point. Mm-hmm. You know. That's what we need. We yeah. need, well, ideally six new battle plans at the six-month mark as a battle scroll or something. Mm. And then mm-hmm. maybe three or four of them are solid. That would help tremendously. That should just be a thing that they do. Yeah. It just, uh, yeah. And if at the halfway mark we get, of those six, if three of them are good, and now yeah. we have ten missions to pull from for tournaments, yeah. instead of you know, what I'm calling seven, that seems really good. The remainder of how this all shakes out will be the consequence of points that got changed, the way that people build their lists around that, the subsequent books that come out, and then the, you know, the halfway point battle scroll between here and December. Yeah. What all that is, what that addresses, and oh yeah, sorry, the unexpected consequences that the Dawnbringer books always bring. <laughs> those fifty dollar narrative books that add rules in for you <laughs> that I hope you're paying attention to, because yeah. you'll get some changes that way. Like flesh eater courts are getting ren now. Did you know that? And actually, no, I didn't. I had not been paying attention yet. To yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The so all the flesh eater courts war scrolls basically are getting uh, rend as long as they're within range of a courtier or an abhorrence. Oh, so, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. What did crypt whores want more than rend? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> sure. They can spend their hoarfrost on their to hit roll now. So. Oh yeah. And there's another unit that benefits from the coherency change. The two to six. Huge. So. Huge. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah, Dan. I like it. I like the magic anti-magic component i think it's Mm. gonna encourage people who wouldn't have been encouraged to take certain kinds of units or to lean into magic a little bit more or anti-magic a little more to do that so Mm. you know i think tell you're one of the people that talks about the fat middle of you know the players that we have in the community i think they're going to be able to or be willing to participate more and I like that with this set of rules. Mm-hmm. I know myself already, I'm motivated to try different things that I would not have tried before. And I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of cool little stories. Those little moments are going to be told now with these set of rules. We look at Absolutely. Merciless Blizzard as if that goes off, it's going to be something you're going to remember for a very long time. <laughs> or right. whatever else it is that... Yeah these rules bring and there are many many things i think that these rules bring that are going to give people a chance to tell those little tiny stories and talk about their games and remember their games and enjoy the game more which is what we want overall Mm -hmm. i mean rules notwithstanding and all those other things you want people to enjoy this game if they're participating in it yeah and i think that this book encourages them to do so in terms of the battle plans You know, you guys know I'm very ambivalent about it because I'm going to rely on the TOs to make reasonable decisions. And Mm. in 99% of the cases, they are. They're going to pick Mm. ones that are going to be, you know, playable by everybody and that people are going to enjoy. And so 
one way or the other, I'm just going to play whatever is put in front of me. That's fine. But overall, now that I've played some and read more of it, it yeah, it's good stuff. All right, Jens. Fantastic. So with that, we are going to move into Scriptorium. Etc. 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 We only have one new release, but I think it's going to be a really cool book. It's called Cypher, Lord of the Fallen. We haven't really heard from Cypher much at all since Rubute Gilliman was released from his eternal hibernation. Cyber was a mm. really, really crucial character in making that happen and in getting the Eldari involved and, you know, mm. the successful recurrence of Gilliman. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is that now that Lionel Johnson is back, there's been a really huge redemption component introduced with The Fallen. He has mm. literally, when I was reading that one lore book, has accepted many of The Fallen back into the chapter. And he said, mm. I forgive you, you know, come on, let's fight chaos together. It'll be interesting to see how Cypher plays into the Lionel Johnson component of the lore. So I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to this book. It's coming out very soon. I think another week or two. So I'm hopefully going to be able to listen to that. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. So that's it for new releases. Tyler, how about you? Reads, listens, watches, anything? Yeah, for reads, as usual, a lot of nonfiction for work stuff, for watches. I feel like I just say the same thing every time I'm on. I've <laughs> got very set habits, so I go to late night movies. So I told you guys that's my getaway time as a permanent bachelor that I'll, I'll go to, you know, Alamo Draft House at like 9, 10 p.m. showing. So I, I see about everything. See, The Flash was a, a hot mess. Indiana Jones, uh, sadly, I, I'm also always hesitant to like say too much if you guys haven't seen it. Hopefully this doesn't impact your opinion on a movie if you haven't seen it. But Indiana Jones was also a bit of a hot mess. I really wanted to enjoy it. Mm. I don't know. It didn't quite do it for me. Let's see. What else have I seen? Asteroid City was a lot of fun. Wes Anderson's new film. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. I mean, very quirky. You got to be into Wes Anderson films. If you're not, you're probably not going to enjoy it. Gosh, there's been so many movies that I've gone to of late. What else have I seen? I want to go see Joyride. Haven't seen that yet. Have you guys seen that advertised? Joyride? The comedy? I don't it's think like so. Fun. Looks pretty funny. I've seen some other ones that I can't remember. Let's see, for TV, The Bear, which I've also talked about on the show before. <laughs> the Bear Season 2 on FX. Did you guys ever watch that? No, I Bear? haven't. Oh, my God. It's amazing. So The Bear, I think, is, oh, for me, it's the best TV show out there right now. Okay. It's a comedy drama. It's about a guy. Uh, this He became a pretty famous chef, three-star, four-star, whatever the Michelin star rating is. He, he got the top marks. And then he came back. He wanted to start a restaurant with his brother. His brother died. He eventually, his brother left him the money to be able to do it. So the season two is about him creating the restaurant, a nice restaurant called The Bear. It's an incredible show. And they took, they did a lot of interesting things this year, some risk. And there's an absolutely insane episode six, I think, episode seven, that you've got to watch with so many uh, actors, actresses you'll recognize, Jamie mm-hmm. Lee Curtis among them. Oh, sure. Family dining setting. So it's a, they're all back for the holidays and it's just madness. It's so good. Okay. Uh, yeah. I love the hell of that show. Okay. Just a real quick segue. Since that's a movie or a show about culinary stuff, have yeah. you watched the menu? Yes. Yeah, okay. I did enjoy the menu. I thought yeah, it was, I thought it was fascinating. a very fascinating movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it just yeah. the acting was exceptional. Ralph Fiennes, uh, oh, yeah. I always liked him anyway, but yeah. that was just such a bizarre modern horror movie. But it was great in the way it was executed. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. A lot of, don't want to give anything away with that one if some people haven't seen it because you've got to, you don't want to be spoiled with that movie. But yeah, there are so many layers to that movie yes. as well in terms of what it's saying. And yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. Brendan, how about yourself? I saw No Hard Feelings. The, it's a movie. 
it's a comedy where Jennifer Lawrence is contracted to oh, um, yes. quote unquote date. Oh yeah, wealthy, I saw that too. Wealthy family's yeah. son who's headed off to Princeton. It was pretty funny. I yeah. enjoyed it. You know, you have some warm, wholesome moments and some ridiculous funny ones, including yeah. a one very funny car driving scene, okay. I think is the way I'll put it. So I saw that. I started watching Better Call Saul since I finished Breaking Bad and El Camino, uh, which I talked about mm-hmm. in the last sure. episode. Mm-hmm. Sure. Getting started with that, I was told the first season's very slow, so I'll, you know, I'll yeah. give it the space to breathe and, you know, jump in get, with... Yeah. I mean, it ran for a bunch of seasons, so, like, obviously it right. gets better because they, they didn't cancel yeah. it. been doing that... I have too many Audible credits, so I gotta start finding <laughs> things to listen to and do with that. Uh, now that I'm gonna have some time to cool. just listen. Excellent, Dan. You've got a shorter list than normal here. Yeah. So. so Thulman, I continue to read. He does not disappoint. I'm hoping to get quite a bit of that done this week when we're camping to sit quietly in the nature and just read. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. I finished listening to Leviathan, the new 40k book, and. It is the most depressing 40K book I have ever listened to. Wow. I am just, there must have been 30 plus characters in this book. And I think maybe four of them survived or something, some insane number. And you're like, oh, this guy is doing such cool things that you're halfway through the book. It, oh, he's dead. And then the next <laughs> thing, like this soldier, she just, she was a captain of the Cadians and she was like, oh, she's dead too. And wow. like everybody just was falling. And the other piece of this that was so scary was in the trailer for 10th edition when you saw that Mm. video and they've talked about how different the tyranids are the one thing about this book was it absolutely demonstrated how different the tyranids are now they just their tactics and Mm. the way they fight and function it's like it's a whole new xenos race and the termines just weren't ready for it and you're going whoa man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, this is really bad. And as you were describing it to me the other day when we were talking, that in my mind is what the Tyranids should always have mm-hmm. from the outset, right? So the initial incursion, like, should be able to be fought back, right? You know, they have whatever strategies that they have, mm-hmm. but that they're going to learn and adapt. And then when mm-hmm. they come around this time, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever they come up with against, you know, to defeat the Tyranids, you know, at some point, you know, push them back, you know, to the... Mm-hmm. You know, and they're not a problem for a little bit. The next time they come back, they're going to be even worse, right? Oh, yeah. That race specifically in 40K should be that escalating horror, that kind of, that inevitable thing that is going to push 40K towards its end time, right? You know, mm-hmm. where, where you can do a lore reset and do something with it. It's building in that button that you can hit and go... The one thing mm-hmm. I'd like to see in these stories, I would like to see a book where it's like Black Legion versus the Tyranids now. Ooh. That would be really interesting and so different. I want to see orcs versus Tyranids. Yeah, yeah or anything <laughs> like that. You know, or, or And we've seen enough Tau versus Tyranids, but now that you have a new iteration of them. They're creeping more into the galaxy. Yeah. The tendrils mm-hmm. are going deeper. Oof. It was good from that perspective, but boy, so depressing. Anyway, I'm going to be starting King of the Spoil, which is the Warhammer crime novel that I talked about last time. Mm. I've enjoyed the ones I have listened to, and so that's the one I'm going to. Mm. A new narrator, just like Leviathan, I talked about the new narrator last time. It took me a little while to get used to him, but once I did, Mm. I thought he did a very nice job with a very long book. On my movie watch list is a movie that just came out called Sound of Freedom. Mm. It's basically about a group of men that put together a raid to rescue children from child trafficking. Oh, yeah. I heard about this. And I had a couple of friends who had gone to it and gave me... 
always rely on other people's feedback if they've seen a movie, people I trust. Yeah. And they said that both of them, that the theaters were relatively crowded. But at the end of the movie, you know, usually when people are getting up, there's talking and there's sound. And they said the theater was absolutely silent. People were just mm-hmm. stunned by what they saw. It was so compelling. So, yeah, I'm going to go give that a watch. Uh, I'll have to watch that too, man. That but, sounds uh, great. Move it on then to this or that. Brandon, why don't you hit up Tyler first with your three, bud? Sure. Remember your role. Again, as as promised, the (laughs) pre-negotiated. No questions about the 2020, uh, the 2021 Bucks NBA championship. (laughs) That's fine. That's been litigated well to this point. Okay. As always, I have found ways to make Tyler's life miserable. So I will start with an easy one. So what's the award you've been too afraid to put on offer at Vault Wars? Either because it's too crazy or you don't think people will buy into it. Oh, man. What was one of the ones? We were talking about one a while back. That was We talk about a lot of awards. I know we do. That's a great question. One that's too wild. The, the one that's too bold. Can't cross that Rubicon quite yet. I really wish I had a great answer for that. I need to get a good answer for that. Honestly, I don't have a good answer right now. Let me think about it because there isn't one. Because all the ones that... Well, what's one that you left on the cutting room floor this year then? Yeah, I mean, I left Underdog, but not a particularly notable reason for that, right? Because we already had Highlander... And right. due to your campaigning, as well as Nick's, we've got Highland or Hard Mode added back in. So I thought that was, and we've got so many other awards. So yeah, Underdog had to take a seat. But, oh gosh, now I want to have a conversation about, yeah, what that award should have been. <laughs> yeah, the okay. take it to the nth degree, the not take broken the off. You know, what's, so All right, after the show, okay, so next show, I want to be ready to have it. I'll have an answer for you. Okay. Okay. The, your San Antonio Spurs won the lottery for the NBA draft and drafted a player who is largely being recognized as potentially the next great player of the generation. Yeah. Right? A seven foot three center who can handle and shoot threes, albeit his summer league debut was that's fine. pretty underwhelming. Summer league, it's right? fine. Yep, no, that's fine, right? Yeah, so yeah. everybody you, go back and look at anybody except LeBron James he did fine LeBron yeah he did fine (laughs) Um, his first showing against what can be called the NBA talent is what you have to make this assessment on at the end of his career who is going to have been the better player Wemby or Tim Duncan I had a premonition you were going to ask me this exact question. There you go. Hey. So I thought about it a little bit before oh, the perfect. show. Oh, perfect. I'm glad you <laughs> thought about it. That is good. Uh, and I have a Wimby one for you as well. We're using Wimby as a crutch to torture okay. each other. Perfect. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do think I've still got to go with Timmy. Timmy, but obviously, as you know, Brendan. Dan, do you, I feel like I said, do you know you don't follow basketball too much? I do not. A little bit. follow the okay. NBA well, very much. Yeah. You would like Tim oh. Duncan. Okay. You okay. would love right. Tim Duncan. Timmy just embodies the best of, well, on so many levels, right? Yeah. Extraordinarily mm. humble, team player. He embodied winning basketball for his generation, mm. team okay. basketball. Right? Right. He was like Bill Walton or Bill Russell. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. And I would still have to go with Timmy. Just an extraordinary career. I put him in the top five, top six. Like, I think he is one of the most underrated players in the history of the game okay. for what he did as a whole on so many levels. But yeah, yeah. I think it'll end up probably being Timmy because that's just such a high bar in my mind. Yeah, it's it difficult be. to underrate a person who's arguably the best power forward to yeah. play the game. <laughs> 
Okay, third question. I'm going to moderate here. Third question. Third question. So, Tyler, there's a phenomenon going on that will start July 21st. Two movies that uh, are going to come out at the same time that are ostensibly about the exact same thing. There is a biopic about J. Robert Oppenheimer and Mm. effectively the making of a bomb. And a movie also about nuclear weapons called Barbie. (laughs) So many people are going to take on the challenge of watching both movies in the same day. This challenge is called Barbenheimer. A lot of debate about the correct order to watch these in. Do you watch the Barbie movie movie first and then Oppenheimer or do you start by watching Oppenheimer and then finish your day watching the Barbie movie no you start Oppenheimer in my mind it's like hands down 100% no two way around it okay yeah I'm getting the impression that everybody is going to like at least minimum love hate the Barbie movie I think it's actually going to be really good (laughs) like if you hate it you're actually gonna a lot of people are gonna love it but no I'll start with the intensity (laughs) first let's hope that Barbie is a longer than a Christopher Nolan movie about the, the making of the atomic bomb. Which do we know how long that's going to be? Have they come out yet? It's, that's got at least, at least three hours, I'm sure. Yeah, the IMAX film is like 11 miles long or something like that. Mm. Oh my god! Multi-ton IMAX real that is 11 miles yeah. of imagery. Right. It's fascinating I, that they yeah. still use cellulose, you know, to right. make movies. You just don't realize that they do. Oh, yeah. You think everything's digital, old. but no. Yeah, yeah imagine that uh, MP3 uh, file. <laughs> Obviously, I'm the most uh, excited to see this movie, Oppenheimer, for many reasons. So I read Richard Rhodes' The Making of, what was it, The Making of the Atomic Bomb when we were working, when I was in a past life working on the uh, Singular Institute at the time, now Machine Intelligence Research Institute, on AI safety, artificial intelligence safety. We're the first organization in the world to focus on that subject. And so we, you know, we were reading about the making of the atomic bomb and the weapons and just kind of learning about that history and thinking about this potential future threat of AI safety. So yeah, yeah very fascinated to see what Ali pulls from with Richard Rhodes' work and so on. Yeah, the author of uh, American Prometheus saw the movie and indicated that it was that this movie is extremely historically accurate. Which is nice. wonderful. That's a very good so sign. I had be. that book. I never did read it. I should have. Yeah. I listened to it. It's yes. about 26 hours. Yes. It was something we talked about on several shows sequentially because it was so long. Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, but he did enjoy it a great deal. Okay. My questions are much more ground level. I'm just saying. Yeah. Except for the last one, maybe. So the first one is, do you take, for the points, do you take Durthu or do you take two units of 10 spike revs for a hammer? Durthu. Okay. Yeah, I have right. to go Darthu. And I think, have you played much of Darthu? Oh, it's all I play. It's all I've been running. I've, yeah, I've, since the start, I've played him every, he's, every he's single He's got about a year of Oak and Brow Darthu under his belt. <laughs> okay, nice. Greenwood Gladius? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I'm, so, yeah. Like, he's pretty amazing right now, right? And I'm going to surprise you when I say this, but he's surprisingly swingy. Okay. Uh, because well, that, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. He's always been swingy. Yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, in that, for the investment and the fact that you need him to output like four to five rounds, like really yeah. output, when you miss that round because you don't make two six-inch charges, and it happen, has happened to me, certainly. Or, That's you know, fair. you're going yeah. to, you're at twos and threes, and you get five out of five, you get like two hits through. You know, it's yeah. still 12 you know, or 12 damage, that's fine. You don't get the output that you're investing with those kind of points. I still think that he scares people. So psychologically, I think he's a really great unit. That's the thing. Yeah, it's like, this is fast. I'm glad we're talking about this, right? Because I've played him against him three times in the last six months. Okay. Uh, third time was yesterday. Every game, he is horrifying. 
facing him <laughs> is a terrifying proposition. You have to assume he's going to hit his three plus ground shaking stomp. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hit him first in combat. You have to assume that mm-hmm. all is equal. Unless I mean, there's certain situations, maybe not. But and then yeah, that he has the board play you know that you know, spell singer like the conditions are going to be there to help him get where he needs to go and there's some play around it but i guess from your perspective though right there's enough counterplay like you have to get your rubric Goldberg machine going you have to get like spikes from hive up and or yes. your battle mage you have to have your wood out You're, you have to have the woods not turned off like there's all these different ways that there are counterplay well, and, and those are two things you just mentioned you know so i can count on yeah. like two hands, the number of times that I've missed that two up for Spite Swarm Hive. Oh, right. And then, he, then he's just like, okay, oh, do I just want to so throw bad. him away? Yeah. No, I don't want to throw him away. So I just lost that turn of output, right? Yeah. It, you really do. Unless somebody's close already and you can charge, which I played Dave's, you know, Brass Stampede and he had like a bunch of his it was already jugs right him. there and he yeah. just walked into them. But that's different. The other thing that is really difficult for me now is I played with uh, Tree Lord Ancient pretty regularly mm. and mm. having that ability to put a tree anywhere is yeah. really really important for Drifu yeah, and right. not having that really inhibits him a great deal because I now especially in this environment you can't count on getting Verdant Blessing off and putting another tree on the board that's what I was going to say yeah or Ooh. even Spite Swarm Hive man yeah. Like you, yeah, there's going to be more opportunity for opponents to shut down Spikers yeah. from high. And if they do, the... then, you know, you just, you got 300 points just sitting on the board. Interesting answer. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Then the next is a kind of general army building question. So in this new book, you're going to a event, a five game event. Are you going to build a magic or an anti-magic army? Anti-magic for me personally. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I had, that's obviously biased by the armies that I play. If I could play anything, as far as try to like speaking to the majority of I think the ecosystem, you're more leaning toward anti magic in my mind this season. Okay. Yeah, All that's right. where. So like order, as we talked about earlier, right? Every order army can put a couple of night cantors in their list. They're probably going to have to go up in points just for that fact alone, the impact that they can have on shaping the ecosystem with one or two auto unbinds in your list if you've got a couple of cantors. But yeah, I, I think that's just the easiest option. And yeah. Okay, fair. Then this last question I asked Brendan on the last show, I'm going to ask you now. Assuming, and this is a big assumption, but it's, I'm sure, more likely as time passes. If Giannis leaves the Bucks, is he going to head east or is he going to head west? When Giannis leaves the Bucks, when? Brendan, is he going <laughs> to... Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I already gave my answer on the last episode, which you clearly haven't listened to. So what do you think? What are your <laughs> no, thoughts? Well, first off, I sincerely hope that that does not happen to our mm-hmm. friends. That sure. would be most unfortunate. We're not I true gotcha. villains here. Yeah. One of us is a true villain here. <laughs> yeah, okay. Burned. And we're both looking at him. Okay. Burned that uh, okay. Do I think he would head, most likely head west or east? Oh, yeah. Let's go east. My gut says west, but I'll go east. At some point, the New York Knicks are going to get a star, like a legitimate big-time star, right? That's going to happen at some point again in our lifetime, I would think. The New York Knicks seems like when <laughs> Carmelo Anthony doesn't exactly count with where he was. I love Jalen Brunson, huge Jalen Brunson fan, doesn't exactly count. They have been trying to get a big star at the right time. And honest it's, to God, one of the five players that is like an actual Supermax player. Right, right. Like right. A bunch of players earn the Supermax, but like, <laughs> right. you know. So like, Embiid or Giannis, like one of those two. I'll Jokic, say east. right. Okay. But my east guess is it west. is. Yeah. Okay. You're four. Coming back at us. Yeah, you're four. All right. Start with you, Dan. We were just talking about Sylvaneth. Hmm. Night Haunt. You get one. You have to sell the other or whatever Cindy wants to do with it. You get one. You get Night Haunt or Sylvaneth. Oh, man. Got him. That's just nasty. 
<laughs> I'm telling you to ask me that question. Because I've kind of gone up and down with Sylvaneth, but I'm, I'm really enjoying them more and more. Uh, yeah. The well, more I play them. I'm really them. proud of you for playing that army, too. Like, five or so years ago, you know, like, when we first started doing this, like, yeah. if you had come to me and said that you wanted to play Sylvaneth, I would have told you, absolutely not, Dan. You are going to be miserable. Mm. Um, you're really going to struggle with this. But, like... You learned a lot of things with your night haunts, and you have good That's fundamental funny. understanding of like you know some of the things that have to happen in the game. And Sylvaneth is, and I think Tyler will agree with me here, is an inherently challenging army to mm-hmm. play. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is deeply unforgiving, as you know. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, I'm really proud of you for understanding well, that on the front kind end of and taking it on and, and choosing to do some unconventional things with it. So I, I think that's Great. really cool. Great. Thanks. To answer the question. Yeah. I think at this point I would probably get rid of my night hunt. I know what that's that's weird, but I think I would. She's she listening. She can hear you. She's she, no, she can't hear you, but she knows what the question was. So uh, she's got this big grin on her face and she's laughing, and because she doesn't care either way, she she's fine. They're all war dollies, as uh, Brenda puts it to her. So as long as I'm happy, she's happy. You know that kind of thing. So uh, I don't think it would matter which one went. But I would as certainly... As long as it wasn't the spider ones that you kept. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. All right, Melnick. You get one Highlander Award or Hard Mode Award. Give me the uh, hard... For everybody's reference, so Highlander Award is a new award this year at Vault Wars. I hope more people will do this. There's two versions of it. The soft version of it, the weak version of it, says you are eligible for the award if you take an army with no duplicate War Scrolls, periods. That's not the version we're using. We're using the harder version, which says you have to do that, and you have to have nine or more different War Scrolls Mm. with no Mm. duplicates. Not an endless spell. War Scrolls do not count toward the nine limits. To the nine Nine minimum. Nine minimum, yeah. Nine minimum. And then hard mode, there's different ways of doing hard mode. It more or less says, like the way that Brendan has done it, do two other people, handpicked, and myself, form a consensus that you are playing a hard mode list, a sufficiently hard mode list, that goes three two, at the tournament. Mm-hmm. Then as, you a, as a minimum, yeah. Bonus minimum. points for four one. Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. Right. I think I'd rather this year have the Highlander just because the award is a huge sword. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which looks great. It, it came in. All right. An actual Highlander oh. replica Scottish wow. longsword. Wow. Find a place for that. Shoot. <laughs> I'm gonna carry it out the window as, as I drive home. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bring me closer right. so I can hit them with my sword. <laughs> right. All right, Dan. Would you prefer the current state of AOS with or without battle tactics? I think it gives a really unique incentive for mm. you to have to make choices. And again, I think most people like having choices. And mm. when it, you take those that kind of a choice away, I think then the other piece of this is it gives you more of an ability to succeed at the game in terms Mm. of points. Because if you're just going straight off of objectives, I think it would tend to skew one way or the other. I think that Mm -hmm. uh, they add a really interesting element to winning the game because that's Mm -hmm. 10 potential points, and that's huge in any game. I would keep them, absolutely. All right, awesome. Brennan, do you have a TLDR on that? I would agree that it's worthwhile keeping the battle tactics. One of the first things that the community ended up inventing was a level of secondaries because they found that playing the missions straight up was not enough, number one, to create separation, and number two was driving this to a place where really all that they were designed to do was just remove the other person's army as efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm. All right, awesome. Okay, last one. Woo! You knew it was coming. (laughs) Yep. Okay. 
you get the next 10 years with Giannis, mm-hmm. or you get the next 15 years with Wemby. I'll take 10 with Giannis. I watched that summer league game, and, <laughs> and Wemby's going to have to put on about 50 pounds before, some weights, before he can hang, and that's going to take him about seven years, because um, I'm pretty sure that I weigh more than he does. <laughs> that's not speaking an element to any of my health or fitness, but that's great. there were guys that I would describe as marginal NBA players who he was bouncing off of. That was pretty concerning unless he basically turns into Kevin Durant. And even Kevin Durant put on about 50 pounds. Did he really? Was it that much? I knew he put on a fair amount, but yeah. Well, anyway, I, I never looked and see how much more. I, I mean, I remember Kevin Durant coming out of college. Yeah, he was skinny as real. Yeah, you just hope he stays healthy. But Let me uh, just play a... basketball is what you're saying. Yeah. All right. That's it then, guys. Good. Good set of questions. Yeah. Over to show close. All right. Show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Brendan, Sunday announcements at all? So the Sunday previews, Dan, we've got a bunch of stuff for 40K. We have the intro sets of varying size and scale that we've seen over the last couple of editions where okay. you know you have different entry points. Oh, Angus, yeah, sure. There's like Sigmar three of them. Similar. Yep. Yeah. Got it. You've got like the you and your buddy get like... 10 15 models and a couple of paints you get some terrain you get a couple of guys with the bigger one and then you're like go, the, full, go. the full bigger one is you know like a quarter of an army sure of stuff. it's like a dominion box or something yeah exactly librarian terminator armor that barb is gaunts. a cool model that yeah, is a neat update to sweet. librarian and terminator armor the barb gaunts some paints you've got a horse heresy unique tank commander for sons of horus and ripper balgrot the smartest troll in all of blood bowl which he wears glasses. That's how you know he's smart. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that is Sunday announcements yeah, then. Sunday announcements. All right. And then we're going to forgo QA this time, listeners, because we want to do a little bit of expectation management. You know, we both have, as you all do, we have lives and things that happen and changes and stuff like that. So Brendan, why don't you talk to us a little bit about my news to break, so if people are upset, it's my fault. <laughs> So right. the show going forward is going to be a little bit different because I am moving. So mm-hmm. I will no longer be in studio with Dan. I'm going to be moving a couple of states over to Ohio. Mm-hmm. We're still going to do the you'll show. Be, you'll be in studio with Vince Ventrella. Uh, yes. I'll be breaking <laughs> into his home, hosting Warhammer Weekly myself. But no, you know, so we'll be doing it digitally. I'm going to have some period of time where I'm going to need to kind of get things settled and get moved in. I might be on the next show. I might not be. One of those kinds of things. It'll be a little bit different because we're not in the same place. We're going to try and keep the show as similar as possible. But, yeah. you know, just the precursor that some things are changing. And if something sounds or seems different, that's why. The most likely scenario is that we're going to post this one probably before Meltdown. So those driving to it can listen to it, which is great. This will be posted during the week of the 17th. But after that, you know, we have committed to and we've been pretty good about every two to three weeks for all our episodes consistently. Mm-hmm. It may be a little bit longer. It may not. But as Brendan said, we wanted you all to know. And it may be four or five weeks, whatever it is, to get things, you know, settled. And I may have a guest host on while he's getting settled in on the other end. So there might be another voice on the other mic. But we'll just see how it goes. And as he said as well, you know, we're going to keep the show what it is because we feel like we feel a need in the community and I think people enjoy what we do yeah, and how do. we do it. Have you notice how many dead bodies there are in the podcast, <laughs> AOS podcast landscape? <laughs> <laughs> the last few standing. You know, we want to keep that coming and keep that unique 
piece that we love bringing to you. We want to keep yeah. that here. So that's our goal uh, as we move forward. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Brendan, for bringing that up and getting that out there. And so episode 126, to be determined yep. in terms so, of subject and everything else. So somewhere between this episode and next episode, one of those shows will be about Meltdown, <laughs> and the other show will be about Dawnbringer Crusade Book One. Yep. In what order? Unsure. Who will be part of each? Unsure. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but they'll be there. Yeah, but those are going to effectively be probably the next two episodes. Yes, there we go. <laughs> that is it for that. Tyler, thank you so much for being on board, man. It was so great to talk to you, buddy. By the way, I didn't know if you were aware, but I will not be able to go to Vault Wars this year. Yeah, I got your email. That's all right. You're just giving me crap right now. All right, that's fine. I still love you. That's good. good. Yeah, okay. You're going to be there next year. I will. I'll make sure to move the date again. I'll find a time. Let me know what's a bad time for you. Oh, Irish Fest. No, no, no. No, no. Irish Fest is off limits, man. Schedule it that weekend. Third weekend in August. I go nowhere. (laughs) You'll figure it out. And if there is any way that I can make it there, I will make it there for sure. So had such a wonderful time. So thanks again for that. Brendan, as always, thanks, buddy, for being on board. Yeah. And safe travels and best wishes for all your changes here you know we'll see you on the other port see you on the other shore but i'll see you in a couple weeks yeah it won't be that long <laughs> yeah so yeah. all good stuff thanks and, for always letting me be here oh hey we love having you over man you will be missed no kidding maudlin online okay <laughs> anyway <laughs> thanks everybody for being here for being a part of this show and the journey we take and we just love having you all be part of it Minimum four hours. Minimum four if, hours. If, okay, if I got it. Lower than that, I'm, I'm going to get upset. So we're going to stretch it out here a little bit longer because we're at 358, 59. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, all you right. have to have the sound effects in. Yeah, and, okay, and yeah, that. that's so true. That'll get us you'll there. You'll edit it at 0.98% speed. And <laughs> that'll that'll get to, you And you nobody's going to notice, right? <laughs> so you all take care, stay safe, stay healthy, and as always, don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. This is the end.